flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing boss scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we move it, it feels just like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the talking? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference. Make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fucking how fuck are you? I'm the truth to these rappers, niggas last in love with you. One more stool, never been to Carolina, right? Two J's and I'm not nobody. Good time, singing in a chapel. Waking for a hot meal, lighting up the comma. Looking for a hot meal, but it's probably dying. Malakia, silicon, me look like a doctor. Kicks like 808, kicks like 808. I ain't trying to say it again. Hey, 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 look, I try to tell them that I made it out the gallery With a dollar and a promise, and I turn both of my pockets That was an accident, but that's one way to come off of the intro song <laughs> Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to another episode of The Debrief I am your co-host, Brianna Joy Gray And I think we should just get right into it today we had a particularly um, engaging episode this week. I saw a lot of comments in the Patreon expressing a diversity of views on who of the two guests, Kim Iverson and Esperanza, you found to be more compelling, convincing, good faith, bad faith. It does feel like in some ways a Rorschach test. Um, and I'm interested in fleshing some of this stuff out. You know, these are the kind of subjects. I don't know if you guys remember when we did um, the debate between Glenn Greenwald and Nathan Robinson, but that went on for two hours, maybe over two hours, because it does feel like certain kinds of um, conversations just really require more time and space. And that's part of why I wanted to do this, because I felt like there was a lot of potential to get to the bottom of some core disagreements, watching the 
um, reactions to the rising clip, but those opportunities were kind of missed because I do feel like people were talking past each other a lot online. And, you know, in fact, I felt like there was some talking past each other in this episode. And I, like I said, at the end, I really do feel like we could have gone for another hour and gotten to the root of some good stuff. But I know that we're going to get to it today. Some things that were brought up in comments that I saw and that came up in our conversation and that we weren't really able to get to um, is this question of, you know, are you a real ally if you would be deterred by um, kind of what you feel like to be animosity or kind of unfair treatment from the movement that you claim allyship for? Um, is it just ridiculous out of hand to say that? And, you know, you're just you're just not a true ally, so I shouldn't be courting you either anyway. Or is there some core nugget of truth that movements should try to position themselves to be appealing and accommodating and bring somebody in the tent? And what is the line there? I think that's something I would love to explore with you guys today. Um, there's this question that came up in the rising segment, and I saw people debating it some again online about whether or not there's some difference in treatment between the kind of the Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali example, where people say, you guys know how to do this. You're just pretending to be ignorant about this. You're intentionally dead naming to be dead naming. And other people who say, well, I'm saying Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali because I have comfort in doing that. I'm obviously not trying to hurt Muhammad Ali by referencing the fact that he used to be Cassius Clay, but with respect to dead names, even saying it, no one's saying blank page into Elliot page. They're, you know, it's, it's a different standard there. It's something more akin to how we treat the N word and is, are people being disingenuous about the difference there, whether or not you think that's a difference without distinction. Um, there's this provocative question that Kim brought up about whether or not, this is similar to my first point, but whether or not, you know, minority groups seeking equality and representation need the buy-in from the majority. Kim put it pretty bluntly, like, you need me. And that could be framed as, like, you need comms, you need the media on your side, but also you need to get some portion of the majority on your side. I saw some pushback to that saying, well, you don't need a 50 plus one to have a movement. I think that's true. Some people say you need 3% to have a movement. But if you are a group that's even smaller than 3%, is it even more important not to alienate? I don't know. These are just questions. Don't come at me. We're going to discuss. Um, and there's this big words as violence formulation and what whether that helps or hurts in the long run. Obviously, these are not our conversations aren't limited to these questions. I just thought I'd throw a few things out before we got started. Um, but the queue is queuing. So let's go. Hey, Bide, how are you? Can you unmute yourself, Bide? There you go. Can you hear me? I can. What's in your mind? <sighs> Girl, you tried. You really did. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, bless your heart, honestly, that was, <laughs> that was, uh, it was frustrating. There was a lot of stuff that like, it, it, it seems like, look, like a lot of the arguments that Kim was making in particular were really just kind of pissing me off, you know, like this idea that, oh, you know, we would be for your liberation if you just weren't so uppity about it, if you just weren't so mean. It's like, okay, can we, are you for liberation or are you not? Like, period. I, I think Caitlyn Jenner sucks. Am I going to fight for her rights? Absolutely. Right? Like that that shouldn't be as big of a factor as what it is. And I think, you know, I think Kim's speaking honestly when she says that that affects her, but the idea that someone's like liberation has to be a part of your own self-actualization and make your own feelings feel good is ludicrous to me. It's, it's, it's crazy to me, right? Like that's not what 
that's not what liberation is. But then on the other hand, and I wasn't familiar with your other guest, but she, it seemed like every time someone was trying to actually ask her about, well, do you believe in censorship then? Do you believe in, uh, what are your, do you believe there should be hard limitations on free speech? It seemed like there was always a sort of pivot away from that and saying, hey, here's the harm that it causes. Here's the harm that it causes. Look, I, and I'm not like, I think all of us understand, or a lot of us understand from like a sociological standpoint that the normalization of uh, sort of bigoted words and phrases and actions does lead or can lead to a uh, increased acceptance of harm for, um, of harming people who are in these groups, right? I mean, like the trans panic defense um, back when Harvey Milk was killed and they used like the Twinkie mm-hmm. whatever defense with that. Like, I think we all understand that too. So there's a real danger there, but we have to be honest about also saying that, yes, I think the, you know, there should not be free speech on that platform. And I think she eventually got there. Um, but it, it's just, I feel like so many of the times that we have these conversations, and I think you said it best when you're talking about the degree to which they use, um, you know, like free speech arguments, or people will use free speech arguments uh, in sort of a cynical way or in a coded way to get us into a place to where we can talk about uh we can we can sort of put out anti-trans rhetoric and try to frame it under the guise of, of free speech. I think that is a real concern that should be called out. But again, where's the solution there? Is it to destroy the free speech? And I think you're going to have a hard time if you are having any kind of movement too. And not just I'm not just talking about convincing people by being nice, but the idea that someone can take your ideas and frame them as oh, they're going to be authoritarian because they're going to cut off your ability for speech. Right? Yeah, You're not yeah. Gonna have and that's the that's problem. problem. Like People are pretending like a certain kind of argument is de facto bad faith. When I, right. and maybe I'm so naive, it could be, and you guys can push back against me, but I don't believe it is. And it's difficult because you may or may not think that Kim is a good faith or bad faith actor. But I found myself when listening to the back and forth between she, Robbie, and Ole, sometimes agreeing with Ole and sometimes agreeing with the other two. And I don't, I mean, like, you might also think I'm a bad faith actor, so that maybe this means nothing to you. But, like, I think of myself as a good faith actor. <laughs> never, never. I would never think <laughs> you're a bad faith actor. And so, like, regardless of what, what Kim's intent was, <clears throat> I was interested in unpacking some of these arguments. Excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. My apologies. So I, I just... I wanted to get to the bottom. So like it is, but to your point by it, it's perfectly plausible to say, I think I know, I know that harm is going to befall groups because of a certain kind of free speech. Absolute illusion. This isn't new. This isn't something that's coming up because of trans issues. That has always been the case when the Nazis were marching. Hello. It wasn't me saying, Oh, this is going to turn out well for me, (laughs) you know, but but it's, it's a, it's a matter of principle. Now you can say there are plenty of legitimate arguments to say we're at a different time. Now it's not so clear that the liberalism has won. There's creeping fascism. We can't allow these kind of open marches anymore. If it were today, the ACLU shouldn't defend a march like that on Skokie and we shouldn't, we should be pushing and fighting on every turn we can for limitations on hate speech, especially against trans people. And I may or may not agree with that argument, but that's a cogent argument to make that Correct. takes on the, the issue head on. Correct. But that's not what, you know, ended up happening. That's, that's what's so frustrating about it is, is 
I know from a strategic standpoint, I mean, look, people will use the most, especially people who have agendas that are bad faith. They will try and try and try to find the most good faith angle they can take on it and then use that as a prime point to convert people into more bad faith arguments. I mean, mm -hmm. just about everything with, with trans people today, every discussion is bad faith. The, the, if I have to hear people talk about what is a woman one more time, right. I swear to God, like how, how long have we been having the same discussion over and over and over again? Y'all should have figured it out by now, whatever the fuck your discussion was, pardon my French, but it's like, you know, that that is one of those arguments that's just used nowadays, most of the times when the question is pen, is, is posed, to to pry people into basically, you know, anti-trans uh, thoughts or, or whatever, or turf ideology or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. what have you. But I, that, you, that doesn't mean, especially with a conversation like this, which is based off speech, like, you, you cannot completely just disregard that argument and expect people too who are not trying to come at this from a bad faith angle right yeah, that that's the thing like i think esperanza recognized that it's bait that's it's a trap right and that the but it, the reason that trap works is because there are good faith reasons to agree with the with the speech part of it and so, so then yeah, when you see people re uh, react so flatly kind of without nuance to that and said like, you must be a bigot already you know it, it, you lose you lose people and again and, and you said by that you think that like that argument is like you're not a real ally anyway and you're basically trying to punish people for pushing back against you and all that i, I don't know that i i buy that look look <laughs> people were very split on this but a lot of the work we do on this show and a lot of the communications conversations that we have right here are are had with the premise that the way we frame things matters. And 100%. if we were, and if we were working under the presumption that anyone who doesn't always already agree with us wasn't prepared to be an ally anyway, like what are we even doing? Count the numbers, tally the people, and if we lose, we lose. Okay, here comes fascism. We lost. <laughs> I I hundred percent agree. I do think though that there's that there is a place in that conversation for people to check in with themselves about how the fact that we somehow need to like everybody who wants to have rights is a little bit of an issue. Well, I don't know. Did, she, itself, say, did right? she say you have to like everybody, it, like I interpersonally? Vibes, you know, I got vibes from it. You know, like, well, now that I'm a transphobe and I'm this and that, now I want to be more anti-trans. It's kind of, kind of what it sounded like to me. And I know that's, you know, that's, I know that's not exactly what she was saying. Um, I think Kim is sort of an enigma, although I've come to a lot of the, you know, I, I tend to think that she gets bad faith a lot of the times, um, especially with some of the stuff that was going on with COVID and everything like that and the degree of anti-vax sort of stuff she was leaning into. Uh, but again, I don't know her. I don't know. And once we start getting into the intent place, it's a whole whirlwind of, of stuff. But, and you know, the fact that she is though willing to come on your show and, and talk about it, you know, maybe that means something. But I, I, I do think that, I mean, the other point that you made is really a true one. Th that basically that understanding that it's bait doesn't stop the fact that there's meat to that conversation 
and leaving it unaddressed basically seeds the argument effectively. Right. Right. And I think, and, and, and I think the, the best example I know of this right now is I'm sure you've heard of a uh, Natalie Wynn. She mm-hmm, gets brought up all the time, but yeah, from Con- Oh, she was on, she's on the show. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she had a great video way back when, uh, called in part in the language this is from the video it was called our traps gay right <laughs> and it was based on you know was based on a meme way back when of like you know is is having sex with a, a transsexual woman gay and she basically has a whole part of that argument which talks about well here's why this isn't a real question why it's kind of bigoted and she would say that usually that would be enough in an argument if you told someone who's a good person like oh it's a little bigoted or it's not really affirming of their identity, then they would be a good person and they go home, but late at night in bed, right before they're falling asleep, before you know they drift off into unconsciousness, they would think, but are they gay, right? So she has to engage the argument afterwards. Yeah, she does a really good job of that. And it's, and it's hard really work and it takes hour long videos to take like six months to produce. And I completely right. understand why the average person doesn't have the energy for it and isn't obliged to it. I see this every time we talk about a race issue if on an individual level, you don't want to engage with your oppressor. Kudos. No one's forcing you to, you shouldn't have to. It's hard. Believe me. I know I'm lucky enough to, you know, be paid for it. 100%. How, however, however, I think that it works to the detriment of the group that, that, that you belong to. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're, you're the marginalized person saying, I don't want to engage because my humanity is at stake. You're not recognizing me as a human, all of that language. Yeah. Totes my goats. But ultimately, the people who are not part of your group have way less incentive to engage than you do because there's no skin off their 100%, 100%. back. And like, I, I'm sorry, I would like to sit here and say, white people, this is your job. You got to talk to your relatives at your Thanksgiving. And, da, 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 da. Right. and there's a whole class of black people that argue like that. And I don't have them on the show because we've all heard those arguments and yeah. I'm not interested yeah. in it. It's, it's, look, I, we both can realize, though, how fundamentally unfair that is and how fundamentally kind of shitty it is that you are constantly as someone who is an oppressed person who is dealing with that oppression day to day have to be the one to constantly validate your own existence to people totally it sucks we should get free free therapy reparations honestly (laughs) honestly you should we should like it should be a thing but like and i i i have some sympathy for people and some empathy for people who don't want to engage in that but i agree with you that like look part of you know, part of any kind of liberation movement is that you're oppressed to begin with. And being like, if you were not oppressed, like you wouldn't have to engage in those arguments to begin with. You know what I mean? So you are constantly having to do the uphill sort of battle work, but it just, I guess, I don't know. I was, I was just disappointed that there wasn't like a, I totally understand where uh, and I forget her name. Because Esperanza. Was, Esperanza, that's right. Where Esperanza was coming from with a lot of it. Um, and she did have some really good-ass points, too. I think I think she's very right to connect the degree. We don't talk enough the degree to which trans people are the working class. 100%. A hard part of the working class, right? Uh, that's that's pretty important right and i know robbie has said some stuff sometimes too about well maybe trans women getting killed is because they are make a disproportionate amount of sex workers but he never asked you know why do they make a disproportionate amount of sex workers to begin with is it that maybe they're forced into those positions 
more often because they're denied other opportunities that other people have. Right. Like, and also, shouldn't that, that be an incentive for you to care more about protections for sex workers? Dog, uh, man, it's Robbie, though. He's just going to say the free market should let it decide, blah, blah, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I don't know the guy. Well, then I, we should I, legalize I it. Know. I feel like the libertarian view sure. should be to legalize sex work. It probably should be. They're they're trying to unionize in some places. So we did a, we it. did a show on it. We had some um, sex workers. Where they, what part of the country were they from? I think the West Coast. Uh, like about a month ago, we had like three uh, women who had formed a union at their um, uh, strip club. Oh my god! How did I miss that? Yeah, it was on one of the we do we do pre tapes. So I think it was one of the like okay. Friday or weekend episodes of Rising. But yeah, okay, but go, go ahead. ahead. I'm gonna I, check that yeah, out. go ahead and wrap up by because I there's yeah, a long I'm, line. I'm, here. I'm all done. I'm all done. I just want okay. to say that. Let let the other people get in here and talk, but um, you're 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 doing whatever God's work out there. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I feel like some people in the queue might disagree, and I'm happy to hear that from them as well. Also, let them go. Let them go. This is a little awkward, but some of you I know because you've called in before are trans. But if you are in the queue and you're trans, I'd like to prioritize hearing from you. So you know, give me a wave in the in the chat, and I'll scan it periodically, and I'll jump in the line to you. Um, but I'm going to go to Beckham, next caller. Thank you, bye. Keep the faith. Beckham, what's on your mind this evening? Can you unmute yourself? Oh, Beckham was thought they were safe in the back. <laughs> they weren't ready for me. Okay, um, then I'm just going to go to Andy next. What's on your mind, Andy? Can you unmute yourself? There you go. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. So yeah, I enjoyed the episode, and I guess what I was thinking about is, on some level, I think this is a cultural issue, and you've said about how it's hard to police culture, really, when it comes to like black or white issues, but I think it's also with these types of issues, when you talk about um, dogpiling, or how, like, I think people are going to feel how they're going to feel, and in some ways, I under- I see... You know what I mean? I see it there there when it comes to like how people feel and I don't know how to like talk past that because it seems that so many people are talking past each other. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I I felt a little uncomfortable because I wanted I felt like I wanted to be a facilitator. I didn't want to come in with my opinion so much. I wanted it to be Kim representing one side and what I thought was Esperanza kind of representing what was gonna be what I thought to be frankly more my side but you know there was a, not as much engagement with the core issue from mm-hmm. Esperanza so I found myself interjecting to redirect the conversation in a way that made me feel like sometimes I was ganging up on Esperanza with yeah. him which I didn't like the feeling of but also like it, it reminded me of when we had the episode with you know friend of mine um, Stephen Thrasher who's going to come on uh, soon to, again to talk about his uh, new book on COVID mm-hmm. but um, with Stephen and um, Dr. Thrasher and um, T to talk about the Dave Chappelle episode which also happened to be another trans episode but the the so Stephen came on and hadn't watched the show <laughs> despite knowing that that was going to be what the episode was about and there was a, also this kind of feeling that, well, you know, I shouldn't have to subject myself to hate speech or this kind of ugly language. And like, that's totally fair. But also, if you're going to come on a show <laughs> to talk about a thing, it, you know, it's disrespectful to the audience. It makes for a not as interesting conversation. It's a waste of the other panelists time. 
it's yeah. frustrating. Like everyone, again, everyone doesn't have to, but like somebody has to, or it, this is, this is, I'm sorry. This is kind of why I end up not having trans guests on for segments like this. And I will keep trying. You guys made a lot of great suggestions when I put out on Twitter, like who are your favorite trans leftists? And I, I want to really... recommend again, I recommend it on Twitter, but I want to recommend again, uh, Cat Black. I think she's. Yeah. Cat really Black good. doesn't follow me and I can't get, I know. you know what I mean? Like, so I, 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 I think actually she might have me blocked. <laughs> I, she blocks people. Yeah. But so, I mean, different. I do what I can. Like I, I'm really trying. I'm doing what I can. I tried to watch people's videos and get a sense of how open they were to like getting in the weeds and having like difficult conversations. And I, I don't, and I'm not saying like this is something unique about trans interlocutors. I say it again and again. It's hard for me to find sometimes black people who are willing to come on and like rock and roll with me on the ID Paul stuff mm. and not just give me like Roland Martin's talking points. You know, like I think that a lot of movements have, you know, in the most visible positions, folks who don't necessarily have an appetite for, you know, this kind of weird intellectual dark webby <laughs> kind of like a curiosity they have for like the really really difficult mucky stuff that reveals awkward aspects of our own belief systems mm-hmm. which is totally fair because there's a lot of bad faith in those spaces like that's exactly. totally fair but if we don't have those conversations in good faith the only place to have those conversations is going to be on barry weiss's Substack, right yeah, I, I want to say I really did connect with, like, what Kim was saying. Like, I don't know. I used to feel, like, that way about a lot of things. And when it comes to, like, how we should treat people, like, uh, I forgot what the argument was about, like, you know, not being mean to, you know, like, more honey with vinegar. It was Kim Point. And I was thinking about how, on some level, I do think there is this pushback against, like, there's, like, a little pushback. That's not to say that, like, we should be like open arms, but I feel like sometimes people don't acknowledge that sometimes there can be people on the left that, you know, do like, there can be bad people on the left. And I think that more people should acknowledge that and then say, but you know, it's important that we're here for these people. Like even like if I was on Carl Tucker's show, I think the one thing I would want to like message I would want to get across to people is like, look, you know, even if you hate, like, all this stuff, like, the Black Lives Matter protests and all this, you don't think it was right or anything, I just want you to know that, like, there's probably one person in that group that you would agree with. Like, I feel like so many, so much of the time people, like, go all or nothing. Like, well, this group has, like, some members that I don't like, so I don't want to listen to any of them, or I don't want to, like, uh, <clears throat> think, I, you know, if it helps one person I don't like, then I don't want to help any people that I, that I might like. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, some people were saying this in the comments. I mm. think it's interesting that, you know, there is this, I think that I completely agree with Esperanza when she talks about focusing on these kind of kitchen table issues. And we're talking about organizing and focusing on working class issues and all those kinds of things and, and calling people into this bigger tent. But there does seem to me to be a little bit of uneasiness between this notion of wrangling that big tent and having a kind of, I don't care if you find me appealing attitude toward the way you message. I mean, at at least how do we stop the right from like marketing off the culture war like this? Like, how do we stop that marketing? A hundred percent. Because there was there was this moment where I think it was when we had pivoted to talking about the Josh Halley colloquy. And it's like you can say oh, it doesn't matter. The stuff that happens on Twitter doesn't matter. The stuff that happens on the internet doesn't matter. But when stuff like 
the that happens and when stuff like the New York Times article gets posted, which was like a total turf fest, yeah. you say that matters. Like it, it, like you can't have it both ways. Either the stuff that's happening in media matters or it doesn't. And I think it's very obvious that it does matter. It's making people more comfortable with anti-trans language. It's 100% normalizing anti-trans sentiments. And it's just like, how do we like in some way talk to each other? Because I feel like there is this sort of like cultural stuff. Like you kind of noticed it when you were in France, like how there wasn't like you were more trusting of the uh, taxi driver. And I feel like in America, there's like people don't trust each other to trust each other. So they're like tiptoeing around certain issues or like, just taking things in without really understanding that and being pro forma on the left or being pro forma. Like, you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. And, and look, I, I don't mean this to pile on the Berkeley professor yeah. who was back and forth, but like she did her best. It's a tough situation and she's not anybody's comms agent. She's yeah. a, a, a professor, you know, but I'll tell you this. If I had been sitting in that chair, it wouldn't have been a viral moment. Or if it had been a viral moment, it wouldn't have been such a polarizing violent, viral moment where half the country thought it was a slam dunk for her and half the country thought it was a slam dunk for Howie. Like, I promise I just, you that. <laughs> I would not have fallen it. Like, I promise you that. And I think it would have been a net gain for people's uh, sympathy for trans causes. Well, put your money where your mouth is. Like, show up. You got to get up. There. <laughs> I don't know that I have any credentials no, or if any trans yeah. people actually want me to be out there advocating for them. But I do like, I yeah. just, I, I just, I think it matters. I'm not mm-hmm. criticizing her. My whole career is not mm-hmm. criticizing left and liberals because I, I think they're wrong or want to bring them down. But because I think that they're sometimes making their arguments in ways that make them easily mockable by the right and undermines the cause. My very first article about cultural appropriation till now, that has always been my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you for calling in, Andy. Oh, I, I just wanted you. to say one more sure. thing is that I valued how Ole handled it in that I felt like, I felt like it was good because she kept bringing it back to like how like, look, as like a social issue, you shouldn't bring it, um, talk about like, as a social issue, you shouldn't make this about why you should um, dead name people. And I feel like it was more on Robbie and Kim to bring it back to, is this Twitter's job? Like, I feel like they should have been in that room. But I liked how she was able to, like, you know, talk about the emotion about why, you know, defending trans people in that sense about how this is kind of an emotional issue or social issue in that sense. I don't know. Yeah. So this brings up one of the questions that I raised at the top. Okay. My My issue with that is that both Robbie and Kim immediately off the bat, and you can say it's bad faith or whatever, cast aspersions, blah, blah, blah. But they said right off the bat that they understood that and that they would never dead name anybody and mm. proceeded to not dead name anybody through the whole segment. So I kind of felt like that was beside the point. Okay. I, I, everybody there understood that dead naming is bad for the exact reasons that everyone understands. Every, not everyone, obviously, but everyone on that panel understood. And that's why they were so assiduously not dead naming anybody. When you're right. talking about Prince being formally named, we say Prince and we say formally named. When we're talking about Cassius Clay becoming Muhammad Ali, we say Cassius Clay becoming Muhammad Ali. When we talk about Elliot Page, nobody's saying mm, becoming Elliot Page because yeah. we all get it and we're all abiding by it. So to me, it's fine to, to emphasize that, but it made the conversation not about what it was about. It's two people talking past each other. That should have been a point that was made and moved on from. Okay, yes, dead naming is bad. We all agree that dead naming is bad. Now, what do you do about this situation with Twitter policy? And you can say, like, I mean, if your position is, I think that Twitter should still ban 
dead ban people who are dead naming or doing more. Obviously, you know, Ole made this point online today that Jordan Peterson did a lot more than dead name Elliot Page. He said all these horrible things about a criminal doctor chopping off. Yeah, their, at least Jordan, you know Peterson all of that stuff. Get banned? Like I could, I could, I could defend that. At least Jordan Peterson or suspended. It was a two week suspension. Okay, but but like whatever you feel about that, like that's a perfectly fine position to have. And maybe a two week suspension is like not that big a deal and fine. Like I, I don't have an issue with someone holding that view, but it that was not engaged with. Like that was not the argument that was being made on Rising. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, thank you. I just wanted to say all that, and I hope you have a great Monday. Thank you. You too, Andy. Yeah. All right, Gabrielle. What's on your mind this evening? Can you unmute yourself with your cute little dog face? The unmute button is in the bottom right-ish. It's a microphone. Gabrielle, calling Gabrielle. Gabrielle on aisle seven. All right, Gabrielle. I think I'm oh. here. Okay, there you go. <laughs> How you doing? What's on Gabriel, your mind? Gabriel, that's fine. Gabriel, what's on your mind? Um, so um, I am a, an elder millennial. Uh, I'm clinging on to my 30s for the last year. Right on. Same um, Ds. I um, uh, identify as genderqueer. Uh, normally, I just say I'm a gay man because it's simpler uh, than trying to explain it to anybody. <clears throat> Okay, Gabriel. What I feel like we're losing in this conversation uh, mm-hmm. for, for trans rights, right, is um, what we saw from uh, the Defense of Marriage Act to Obergefell was in less than 20 years, we saw the country change its mind on the gay marriage issue. Mm-hmm. And a certain portion of that happened just because people died off. But, in, but a, a big part of that was uh, exposure and realizing we weren't asking anybody to behave any differently. We were just asking them not to um, uh, treat uh, gay people uh, differently than than uh, how it, they would treat anybody else, right? Just respect us and, you know, uh, reference, you can say partner, you can say husband or wife or whatever for your same-sex partner, but we're not trying to get into your schools and educate them any any specific way. We're not trying to have anything to do with children. This is all about consenting adults and what they do in the privacy of their own homes. And I feel like where uh, the trans argument has lost the narrative is trying to work with um, trans teens. Now I want to, or and well, and and younger. But and I and I want to be clear. I'm very sensitive to the fact that uh, of the suicide rate among trans teens, and that we should be encouraging, you know acceptance and and let them deal with what they're dealing with and all that stuff but these are really complex issues on their own right and people get very sensitive about their children and i feel like this is where we really get at it and i know this came up um you know in in your discussion where you know it was brought up groomers and um well i guess my my point here is um between asking people to change the language they use and asking them to, to reevaluate who their children are and all of these different things, we're asking too much from society at one time to get it on our side. Does that make sense? You're, you're saying, so what's the too much that you think that the trans movement, broadly speaking, we're, is asking for? Or, so or, or frame it, not, how they're framing it? 
we're not just asking you accept us and, and you know, we, we're not asking you to change your behavior at all. We're asking for, um, as, as people have brought up, like uh, ch changing on uh, forms, you know, are you a, um, are you a menstruating person instead of are you a woman, right? We're asking people to change their own identity in identifying mm. certain ways. Now, I know that's not widely adopted and there, it's, it's, and, and things like chest feeding and all that stuff are very much overblown, right? But they are happening in some situations. And then the second part of it is uh, the way we're dealing, trying to address the issue of, of trans, uh, we'll, we'll call them children and teens, um, and, and, and letting them um, expose it and just be, uh, and, and be exposed to it and be accepted, right? And, and we have not developed good language to deal with that because people still see that as a sexual issue, which when you then bring into children, gets very, mm -hmm. very complex very quickly. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I'm fascinated by the first prong of this. Okay. This is, oof, this is spicy. Okay. So I would agree with the following observation. This is an observation, not a belief that I hold. My observation is that people who often are bristling about trans issues or even just like expressing some level of discomfort often focus on whether in good faith or bad faith, what I'm hearing a lot is people saying things like, why do I have to add cis in front of women? Um, and the whole fact that TERFs are such a central part of this, it's because there's, you know, essential, one central part of this is all of these like elder feminists <laughs> uh, who feel as though, you know, trans women having status takes something away from their own status as women and feminists and all of these other kinds of things. And so I do think that that's an astute observation on your part, that you, that, 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 that is something that is perhaps distinguishable from the, from the gay movement and the trans movement specifically. Mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> what to do about that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that some of it could be like not, asked for. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell trans people what they can and should be asking for. I think there is a world where people say, you know, you know, like Kim made this point on, I think on the rising clip that like she is biracial and she appreciates when there is like another box that she can click, but she doesn't want to redefine the original box. And she says that she went to a doctor's office and they asked if she were a menstruating person or not, or something along those lines. And she was like, well, I want to keep being able to identify as, you know, woman. And if they want to put additional boxes, you know, man, woman, cis man, cis woman, trans man, trans woman, then I'm fine with that, but just don't force me to take on an alternative identity. And again, in extremely bad faith, the what is a woman documentary is obviously all about that as well. 100%. Yeah, I mean the, the the what is woman documentary. I've not watched it because I have I have no interest in in that, right? Uh, but I mean, like just for example, with chest feeding, and I know um, I can't remember who um, stepped in it recently, but there was a, this whole thing about chest feeding recently, and someone had to come out and apologize. But when my niece was having her first child, mm -hmm. was given literature on chest feeding, and I'm in I'm in the same state as Josh Hawley. Well theoretically John Holly mm. when he chooses to have his residence in my state. Um, <laughs> and so it's one of those things where um, like if, if that's happening, even in the middle of the country, right. It does like, these are things, cause I didn't know about it until my 
niece and my my mother brought it to my attention and asked me, you know, they were making fun of it. I said, nobody's saying that. And they showed me the literature. And I was like, mm. you know, and this has been several years ago, right? And so it's like even someone who's involved in the in the queer community and is and is doing those stuff is, and I think I can't remember now who brought it up, like, you know, lived in a house full of of trans people and, and hadn't heard some of these terms. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in that same kind of situation where it's like I didn't realize this was going on. So I don't know. My big piece is between um, the way um, we have messaged about children and then the way we're messaging about, for lack of a better phrase, what is a woman or what. And um, it's interesting. Nobody ever asks what is a man. But, Mm. um, you know, uh, but the way we we we've talked about these things is is I feel like too much at one time. Right. Because, I mean, with the gay rights movement, again, at first it was like, hey, can we just not get arrested for having consensual sex in our own mm. lives, right? And then eventually it was, hey, can we maybe get married and mm-hmm. maybe serve in the military? Which, um, you know, uh, it is, it is, is what, but I don't know what the goal is for the, for the trans, like, I don't know what legislative um, goals we have. I don't know what, what does a world where equal, what with equal trans rights look like? This reminds me a little bit of the woke wokeness episode we had with uh, Freddie DeBoer and who else is on there? T? I forget now. Um, where that we talked about some recent articles that have come out about the, like redefining woke. Oh, the Sam was it Sam Miller Bell uh, had this wokeness article in New York <laughs> Magazine, and it def- he defined whoever the author was. I'm not even entirely sure it was Sam Miller Bell. Defined wokeness as. Uh, um, Something about like when you, an attitude where you presume that everyone should already know and agree with you, like that, that part of the definition, it's not that you want people to think differently or want people to think what you think is better. That is so irritating to people. It's a way to approach that people, some people approach issues that presumes that you should already know. And if you don't know, you're not just kind of neutrally ignorant you are an enemy. You're part of the problem. You're not a real ally. Right. And I, I feel, I feel like a perfect example of this. Uh, Ryan Grimm on rising did a, um, I think it was part of his radar a while back um, about the research that had been done into um, pro trans arguments. And um, in every instance, bar one, they were able to, through some type of argument, shift the, the meter towards, supporting the trans perspective right mm. because people in general want to and the one place they couldn't was in trans uh trans people in sports mm. and um um and and uh i don't remember if he drew this conclusion but i mean the conclusion i think anybody who's thinking strategically would draw us okay let's drop the trans sports issue for now let's focus on all the areas that we can win and once we've won those we'll come back and pick this one up if we can. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, cause it's just like, you know, we knew we weren't going to get gay marriage right away, but we got, um, and I can't remember the Supreme court case now that overturned it, it was 2003. Um, but you know, we got the sodomy laws nationwide overturned, right. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So it's, it's one of those things where, um, if we are thinking strategically and focusing on where our arguments work and acknowledging where they fail, we can move the move the um, 
the ball down the field. To, was it Lawrence v. Texas? Was that the one? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. I knew it was in Texas, and I knew, uh, but I couldn't tell you anything other than that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard, right? Like, again, I don't feel like I'm in a position to tell someone, like, okay, just drop the sports stuff, you know, like, and just tell some group, like, this, sorry if you're a trans athlete, but we'll come back for you in a few years, you know. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> I don't know. Those are interesting conversations, and I wonder to what extent they are being had within the community. The sports thing is the sports thing is difficult because just segregated sports, you know, sex segregated sports is contingent on a broadly, widely held and deeply rooted understanding of biological differences between men and women that we all have bought into for our entire lives and centuries and stuff. And suddenly, you know, you're saying, you know, does it undermine the whole ideology behind having segregated sports in the first place, which are supposed to give people who are built different, (laughs) um, who have, you know, grown up with female hormones and are shorter and wider hipped and, you know, built different, a competitive advantage by only competing against people who are built similarly. And again, I think the Olympics has rules and regulations about this that seem very reasonable to me. What do I know about how long you have to have been on hormones and yada, 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 you know, what your hormone levels have to be before you can compete with a, you know, group of your choosing or your identification. But there are people who are even not going to be satisfied with that. And there are people who are not satisfied with Castor Semenya, who is a cis woman. But she just has whatever hormonal thing she's got going on. So it's complicated. I don't know. I don't know. No, no I, 100%. It's complicated. And that's, that's, that's where, it, uh, and this ties back into, you know, some of you said where it's either you're on my side or you're, you're a bigot, right? So just anecdotally, I was in a leftist Facebook group and the subject came up and this was before Leah Thompson or Thomas Thompson, whatever her, uh, Thomas, whatever yeah. her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and this was about the, some MMA fight that was going on, and um, the uh, trans woman had had really um, overperformed against the uh, cis woman, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were um, you know disparaging anybody who would who would bring it up, and and I'm like, okay, I uh, you know I I support the trans movement, I I want to do well you know, you're telling me that the science says this as can you point me towards the studies? Because when I Google, all I found were conservative articles saying, you know, nonsense, right? So, so educate me, show me how to look this up so I can make these arguments. I got banned from the group for sea lining. Mm. And mm. I didn't even know what sea lining was. Right? <laughs> so it was one of those things where it's like, I, I'm on your side, I'm trying to to make these good faith arguments. And because even just asking the question is suspect. Yeah, and that's what. And I and I understand why too. Like I get it. There are people who are like, "What is a woman?" Is like the biggest example of people asking questions like that in bad faith. Like I I understand why people are so sensitive to it, and I I I understand that like as a weird cultural phenomenon, perhaps trans people attracting so much ire and being such a relatively small community compared to some ethnic communities and things like that. That 
that there might be a, a particularized sensitivity to stuff like that and a particular hostility that has evolved to combat some of the attacks that they've gotten. Like I completely sympathetic to how we got here, but I mean, it's difficult for me. Like it seems every, all of us, all of us understand the phenomenon of, of how the discourse around trans issues, even within kind of like left spaces and among I was going to say allies, but there are people who say, well, you're not an ally because you're even asking these questions. So I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but people who are sympathetic, genuinely, I say sympathetic mm-hmm. to trans causes and, tra- and, and wanting to be helpful to trans people and supportive, that there's a tiptoeing that happens when we're t- not talking about other things. Like, I, I, I mess up and sound awkward when I'm talking about Native American issues or Latino issues, and I'm like, am I going to say Hispanic? Now or Latino? Like, I know what it feels like to be awkward as a fish out of water, talking about another minority group that's not my own. But there is a, it, there's a, a different feeling sometimes when I'm talking about trans issues. And it does create certain incentives that I'm not sure are entirely helpful to the trans community maybe they are maybe they don't want me involved and that's fine and like that's completely fine and i want to keep having trans guests on and please um keep recommending them to me but like this issue like this like this like this cassius clay stuff for instance this is really fascinating to me because people keep bringing it up as an example of how everyone understands how to handle dead naming and i saw someone in the chat saying they didn't know what dead naming was which is interesting because some people would say everybody knows this already, especially anybody who would find their self into like this, find their way into this call, call in. But obviously dead name is naming is using the per, the name that person was assigned at birth and that they used before they transitioned. And the, the Cassius Clay example to me is fascinating because it actually illustrates the difference here. Because we're saying Cassius Clay, I will say Cassius Clay all day and night. I'm not afraid to say Cassius Clay. When, I'm not afraid, afraid is not the right word, but I don't think it's like stigmatizing in the same way as saying someone's dead name. It's just not. And if I were making an argument, I think, in def- in, against dead naming, I would not maybe choose that example <laughs> for that reason. Because if you listen, like we, I was doing an experiment and I asked like, hey, Google, like who won whatever boxing match he won when he was still called Cassius Clay? And it said, like, Cassius Clay won this. And if you read the Wikipedia page, it's like, Cassius Clay was born in this year, and then he did this, and Cassius Clay weighed in at this poundage, da 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 And then he converted to Muhammad Ali. And then from there on, on the Wikipedia industry is Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali. And another thing that people who, in good faith or bad, a lot of it's bad faith, but the thing that they raise when they have, like, these quote-unquote concerns about trans people is, why can't I recognize it feels weird when there's a famous person and I can't recognize that there was this, I came to know them for this other part of their identity. They did significant things and had significant accomplishments under this other identity. I'm not trying to dead name them, but am I going to say that Caitlyn Jenner won a decathlon? And maybe that's not the biggest deal in the world. And it's brought up. It is often, not maybe it is often brought up as a pretext to just, you know, try to say someone's dead name. And I appreciate that's why people don't want to even engage that argument. I completely get it. But I've also talked to a lot of like lefties in private who are like, yeah, there's a little bit of linguistic awkwardness there that is inconsistent with how we talk about Prince or Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali and these kinds of things. And I think acknowledging that there's a difference almost strengthens the argument for why we need to, you know, for, for why it's so bad to dead name. And pretending like they're the same thing is almost an invitation to dead name people. I don't know. I don't. I. I, I don't. 
I don't necessarily disagree with you. And and and, and I think your your most apt example would be, you know, Caitlyn Jenner winning the decathlon because that's not how uh, we knew her at the time. Um, trash politics, by the way. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, it sucks <laughs> that she has to be the example for all of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but she's I like mean, our, she's like the oldest. But part of why she is always the example is because she's so old. I mean, she, I, I can't name it. I don't know of another trans famous, you know, famous living person. And because that's she's lived so much life that there's a lot right. of things that happens under their dead name, under her dead name. Mm-hmm. And, and well, I mean, but like, so, I mean, just sticking with Elliot Page, for example, right? Sure. So if I was having a conversation, just a, a, a you know, a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I was watching Juno the other night and just, had, you know got in my feels about some stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, Juno, I've never seen that. What's it about? I remember it won a bunch of awards. Who's mm-hmm. it? Oh, it's got Elliot Page and he plays a um a pregnant teen. And it becomes really awkward really fast trying to explain that. Now I'm not trying to say that it's an excuse to use Right. Of course. Uh his dead name, right? But I mean we haven't figured out a way to um to deal with that yet. And I'm not saying we have to before we can move forward, but we should, you know, give some people some grace when they're going through those. And here's the thing. It's such a little thing. Like, I don't mean to say it's a little thing, but it's such a, it seems to me to be a weirdly specific thing to get hung up on from a move. Like if I were privately, if my mom was like, what's Juno? I would say Mm -hmm. in private, just me and her, I got it. I would probably say, you know, the actor formerly known as this played a pregnant teenager. And da, 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 da. But they're now known as Elliot Page. I, I probably, because my mom doesn't know, like I'm trying to literally explain to her who this actor is. And playing this weird, sure. like, it's just me and her in the house. I, I'm going to just explain it to her, connect the dots as quickly as possible. But I know in any kind of space where there's a third party listening, you know, that's poor form. And that's an interesting, it's it, 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 like, it's fine. It's not the biggest deal in the world. I'm not complaining about it. But it is a meaningful difference between that and Cassius Clay. That's all I'm saying. And pretending like it's not, I think it's just weirdly dishonest. Uh, I, I, I can't... I, I, I use the, my birth name. I, I'm not trying to, you know, um, make... You know, I can't, um, you know, I, I explain necessarily the experience of someone who's gone with it. And I feel... what One of the things... That, that kind of bothered me, not, not that it bothered me about your post, but it bothered me about this entire conversation was I think about 10 minutes of that Hill clip happened mm. before Elliot Page got brought up and it's only yeah, a 16 sure. minute clip. Right. So, so it's like, um, like 10% was about the larger conversation. And then we've, we've zeroed in on this dead naming thing. And, and to me, like, that's where we're, we're kind of getting, lost in some of this I, I, the last thing i say because I, I i don't want to take up too much of your time uh, i just find it incredibly juvenile to say we don't need you and that's that's a little bit of snark thrown at esperanza and I, and it's just because mm. oh, we we didn't make the movements in the gay rights movement on our own we did it with straight allies we aren't going to make movements in the trans movement without cis allies and um uh, no, I and and I, I have two ways to interpret that. Either she was saying she doesn't need Kim, which is 
if I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt, that's how I would interpret it. But it was pretty clear to me that Kim was saying, you need us, you know, you need people who don't necessarily understand this, don't necessarily get this. Right. And so to me, that, that seemed like a bad faith kind of response to that. And, um, you know, uh, it, it just, it, it, that got under my skin, that, that whole thing. And I, I'm not going to try to compare it to the civil rights movement because I don't. Yeah. Look, it was same, awkward. But... <laughs> it was awkward to the way Kim presented it was not how I would have framed, <laughs> framed it. Right. But, but the overall just, I think is right. Like you, no group can do it on their own. Um, right. And especially one, I mean, again, there's this argument that 3% of the population can cause a revolution, but you know, the trans community is even a smaller fraction than that. And you gotta have at least, you know, five allies <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's coalition building and Esperanza says that that's her goal as well. And so I do wish there had been a little bit more like engagement on that point. Cause it, there are all of this, every, the whole conversation we've been having since 2016 is what is okay to de-emphasize what's okay to drop, what's okay to push. Can do you have to drop anything at all if you just make sure you're representing everybody? Like, what's the magic formula to get the coalition big enough to do the good things? That's the only conversation we've been having since 2016. And then to kind of say, oh, actually, I'm very invested in coalition building, but I don't care about comms and I don't care about, you know, getting, you know, whether my message is off-putting to even people who self-identify as leftists, even if you don't think Kim is a leftist, it gives me pause. Yeah, well, and and I mean that's the thing. Like the whole, and again, the whole cred checking with "Are you an organizer?" and it's like, well, I, you know, I wouldn't call myself an organizer by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, I canvassed for Bernie in uh, Iowa in 2016, right? So, you know, I've been involved in in some of these movements that were. You know it, it, that type of thing. I, I did it again in twenty uh, in the twenty twenty primary, um, but locally. And I, I've been involved in the Green Party here in my hometown. So it's it's one of the things mm. where I've I've been involved. But I'm not I'm not an expert in this. I can't tell you how every situation works out. All I can tell you is when I'm speaking to that person right there, I'm not trying to challenge their beliefs on anything. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I want them to understand where I'm coming from and where our common enemy is and where our common cause is, right? It, common cause is a better way of phrase that common enemy, but that is a phrase that was that was used. And it's it's one of those things where uh, if if they, uh, I, th- I think this came up uh, when they were talking about the Amazon unionizing thing where the first vote lost because they tried to make it too quote unquote woke because they tried to include all these um, id poll uh, things in there. Uh, and it's like, you know, no, 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 let's focus on what we have in common rather than what separates us. And I feel like that's the way we win, not um, by making sure uh, everybody is using the right language. Anyway, I, I can let you go. Yeah, no, I appreciate you calling in, Gabriel. You've been very stimulating. And I think the chat has enjoyed your contributions to this conversation as well. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Beckham. Let's try Beckham again. <laughs> I think I caught you off guard before. Can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind? Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah. I, um, as a trans person, uh, I really appreciate <laughs> you uh, trying to get into this uh, because it is like, it is, it's hard to confront your oppressor, especially I think for a lot of uh, like, like you keep mentioning, but especially for trans people where it's like, at some point we had to like 
except for our own well-being that we couldn't convince our parents mm. like through debate uh to stop you know mm. not loving us for ourselves and so there's mm. this feeling of like i just can't go there anymore i just can't do that mm. um and so that is a big reason why it's it like we do need um allies to kind of like enter into the discourse um you know in a good faith way like you say and i i've been thinking about um like uh kim iverson kind of like getting offended like i mentioned it in the chat that i kind of relate to like i grew up uh female and was told like you can't play with those toys because of how i'm perceiving your gender to be and you can't join those sports and you can't you know like Mm -hmm. this oppression and then to hear that someone else is going to take that label that i've come to understand my oppression by who didn't experience that same like that just i remember when i first heard like trans women or women there was just this feeling of like not really though because you didn't you know and and when i like evolved i realized that like trans women weren't allowed to play the with the toys they wanted to either and like there's this really similar experience because it's gender-based oppression um mm-hmm. and uh i do think that we get you know, like it like it must be right that uh jk rowling kind of like fell down a similar like mental spiral um that mm-hmm. led her into turfism i think so i do think that like it's really important for us to get, engage in this discourse but that it's just so hard because it's so so incredibly triggering for us um mm. and uh um also i was just thinking what like uh the last caller was saying about uh um the gay rights movement like i remember uh barney frank at every point telling us we were asking for too much too soon mm. <laughs> and like and like none of those gains were really electoral that were mentioned in that call so i don't know if we can be like well, we've learned from our successes from the gay rights movement, like, um, you know, X or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's a fair point. I guess what makes me a little bit skittish is seeing the ways that some of the least sympathetic, maybe sympathetic isn't the right word, but like, you know, this expression when you're like over your skis or whatever, like yeah. the, the, the more far reaching, least like socially understood aspects of the rhetoric or are being exploited by the right. When I see mm-hmm. that, I, maybe that was happening. I mean, I, of course it was happening in the context of the gay rights movements and people were trying to make everything about orgies and groomers and they're coming for your kids. And stuff. Of course they're always going to do it, but it, it did feel like we were winning. Like it did feel, and maybe it didn't always feel this way for people in the movement, but maybe this is just my revisionist history, but it did feel like a trajectory. Like even in the aughts when, you know, it was, you know, don't ask, don't tell. And, Bush and all of that, it was still like will and grace and all oh, these stupid rubes will get on board eventually. Like, oh, other <laughs> red states, well, they'll get on board eventually. We're winning. Mm-hmm. You know, will. <laughs> the the friend, what's his name? Uh, the musical theater guy in the show. Anyway, he's I like the actual funny one. Oh, I'm too old. <laughs> you're saying you're too young to have watched will and grace. No, no, Jesus just, Christ. No, I'm Jack, just Jack, just guy. Jack. His name was Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, excuse me um you know and and right now i don't know how you feel but i feel like this like chill in my blood because it feels like regression Mm -hmm. and i don't know if 
like it's not fair to compare the two movements. We're just in a different place. Maybe this is all part of a, lo- a larger right-wing backlash and trans people are just being used as the, like the, the stick here, yeah, <laughs> or the I, carrot for fascism. One big difference is Twitter. Um, and I've mm. been thinking about how Twitter kind of, I can't remember who said this, but it functions as a support group. Um, and so it like the, kind of people like piling on um Kim Kim Iverson and like I've also like in a like smaller context but on Facebook with hundreds of people I've had people pile on me in a way that was like very particular to the social media like it wouldn't have happened if I had all those conversations and yeah right um, yeah, it was. It's interesting because my goal was hardly like, oh, let me rehabilitate Kim. I told both Kim and Esperanza, you know, separately. Look, I listened to the conversation. I was like in France at the time. I thought it was fascinating because a lot of the issues that are often brought up were all on the table, but they weren't all engaged with. And I wanted to have a longer form conversation where people were, you know, Kim could be confronted on some of the things that people were upset about, and also by someone who was actually trans because that's often missing from these conversations and I you know it it, it, it had the, the effect of this was kind of odd I didn't I didn't I didn't expect it to be there was a weird balance to it when I listened to it back insofar as Kim was often framing things in a way that I would not frame them as <laughs> and and falling into like certain really um obvious traps in terms of like saying well it's not I'm not afraid of trans people. I'm not transphobic. Like the kind of stuff that like, whoo, like will cause you to lose <laughs> the argument just on vibes because like no one talks like that anymore. But also, also oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I, it reminded me of um, Andrew Sullivan went on Jon Stewart, uh, his Apple show. Did you mm-hmm. see that? And uh, like, I don't, I think I, I saw tweets about it. But I don't think I watched it. I saw like clips. Um, I could, like really, just really quick. He like, uh, Andrew Sullivan said that he didn't believe in structural racism. And then when he was finally, well, what do you think are the causes of all these outcomes? He said, uh, it's cultural. And then everyone said, you're being racist. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but- I do remember that. And then people, because people were linking me, tagging me in because I had had that same conversation with Andrew Sullivan and took a very different approach. Oh, actually, because I was thinking about it, I went because I'm a newer fan of yours. Uh, I went and found that podcast, and I got halfway through it. I didn't get to the part where you talked about that. Um, but um, it does make me feel like there's, like, I don't want to then just delete Andrew Sullivan from Twitter, right? Like, I want to keep talking to, talking to him. About, and even like on the John Stewart show, it felt like everyone just, it felt like a Twitter experience. Like everyone just started getting off on dunking on him instead of like. Being like, where is it that you're having this disconnect? You know? Right. Right. And it's like, it's you got to just decide, do you want to be right or you do want to be heard? <laughs> do you want to be right? Do you want to be understood? Do you want to be right or do you want to be persuasive? And I don't yeah, get like... Do you want to be like, right or do you want to have rights? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I need to write that down because I'm this... this there's yeah, so many interesting it. ideas here. Maybe I'll make the title of my first Substack post because the... In in this episode, I found myself so not agreeing with each, but also agreeing with like the neutrality of it was so like stiltifying for me that I feel like I actually have to write down my affirmative thoughts as soon as I can really articulate them in a post without other people's voices. 
Because it, it, there's a level of nuance here. Like you're going to have to caveat the shit out of everything that you say. Demonstrate your understanding of why trans people feel the way that they do in a way that's completely legitimate in all of these different spaces. But also reckon with the reality of what perception is and whether or not you want to work with that rea- public perception as reality or whether you just want to ignore it all and bulldozer through and hope, you know, justice just wins supreme for reasons. But you know the, the the civil rights the civil rights protesters, rightly or wrongly, and the Malcolm X. Some some people disagree with this approach. Their trainings about how to do sit-ins and stuff were to dress very respectably. Everyone looked great when they marched across bridges and stuff. They were all in their Sunday best. The Nation of Islam wore suits and looked sharp as hell. They were they understood the stereotypes that were going to get attached to them. They understood how they were going to get framed. And they wanted to resist that framing. You know, very famously, the first Rosa Parks was like a young, black, pregnant teenager. And they said the objects of that were bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not approving of the respectability politics of it all. But there was an understanding that they should try to craft the most publicly palatable version of their message. Even Plessy versus Ferguson the idea was they found like the whitest black man on the planet and plopped him down in <laughs> a white train car. No one even knew he was black. He had to like be like, hi, I'm black to even instigate the, the, the events that could cause him to bring action. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they understood, like they were trying to expose the absurdity of the system by creating those conditions. They were trying to make the most sympathetic case by fighting this guy that no one would think was even black and saying, how absurd are your racial hierarchy laws? Right. And yeah. you can, you can say that that's respectability politics is stupid. And we shouldn't do that. That's fine. If, you, if that's your case, then make that plainly. But when people are just trying to get at like, mm, is it a problem when the Josh Holly colloquy is seen so differently by half the country? Is it the best way to go about it? That's all I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not, and I take Esperanza's point too. I'm not making any dictates to anybody about how they should do anything. I, it's just, I'm just making, making some observations. <laughs> but no, it doesn't yeah, seem I to be going that well. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing the incredibly terrible work of labor organizing. Um, but I do think that I like strategically, like you said, like tricking libertarians into a corner where they have to realize like, well, if I don't give trans people rights, then cis people's rights my rights are going to be you know my own principles are going to be are, are going to be eroded um yeah and so kind of having to get them to support us de facto like that's fine <laughs> that's a good strategy but um you know if you're in a support group then of course you don't want to just let josh holly into your support group um right and so i think that that's kind of like the emotional tenor of of like twitter discourse um right and it's difficult. It's, it's if I want to engage with Howley, like, there's this, you know, people say, well, he's bad faith. You're so stupid, Brianna. Like, why are you taking him seriously? It's like, please respect me enough. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost 37 years old. Like, like, trust me when I say I get it. But like, you're being watched. He drug you out of obscurity from the halls of Berkeley, plopped you on a national stage, and then poked you and poked you and poked you until you became the wide-eyed, hysterical leftist from Berkeley that he wanted you to be. I don't think you're that. I think you're probably a lovely lady. I'd much rather hang out with you than Josh Holly. There's no question about it. I think we agree on 99.9% of things ideologically, probably, although you probably yeah. voted for Warren. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
but like it's so obvious to me. Like when I was when I was beating myself up over the um Charlie Kirk debate, it was because I knew that losing my cool in the first few minutes of the debate attacked you know was undermined my credibility with the audience. It wasn't because I didn't think I had an entitlement to lose my cool. It wasn't that I didn't think I was right to be upset that he said these inflammatory insane things. But I knew that it was going to affect my ability to communicate with his audience and maybe change some of their minds. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of trans people that don't know they're trans. So it feels like we more than anyone. I mean, it, it's scary to say something like that because it sounds like someone's going to, like, clip it and be like, look, they're, they want to groom people. But, like, I mean... I, contrapoints trans me kind of you know like i was always trans but there was this thing of like oh i can just do this because i want to like i don't know there was just some some kind of like intellectual permission that i needed because i was old you know Mm. Um, so i i really hope that like we can let go of this whole like i don't have to talk to you about this like you know maybe josh holly is a girl you know like (laughs) let's talk to him about it and love him through it you know um (laughs) Wouldn't that be the the twist of the century? <laughs> well, I mean, it's inevitable, right? Like, if, <laughs> if someone with politics as bad as Caitlyn Jenner can come out. Look, all of the gay <laughs> panic, all of those Republican gay panickers of, like, the early aughts and 90s, like, a not insignificant portion of them ended up being gay. So you never know. Exactly. You never know, and Beckham. I- and I do want to say, I could hear when I was like watching the uh, podcast today, I, I could like feel the tension and like you almost said you guys and then you stopped yourself. Like, I yeah. still, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it is like it, it's more difficult to wade into this than other issues. And I think that um, it's really cool and courageous of you to do it. And also, um, uh, there's a book called uh, Beyond Trans. And uh, uh, I think that um, the guy that wrote that book, uh, like, if, if the topic does come up again, especially when Kim Iverson is talking about these, like, hard categories and, like, the need for them, uh, I I think that he would be a good academic to have on and uh, talk about that. Uh, okay, and Beyond great. Trans is just a really fascinating book to read, just, like, because, like you said about the sports stuff, like, do we need to get rid of these categories? How are we going to deal with it? You know, what about Castor? I mean, that's, a, it's it's so, it's, it's, it's such a more interesting and nuanced topic than we ever get to discuss because we are it does feel like we're caught up in these like entry-level issues because i mean I, I was reading this article today about these younger like the younger generation of trans kids who are like talking about like do i need you know are we being a weirdly essentialist and do i need hormones in this kind of transition just to be the gender identity that i that i that i am do you know what right, i mean like yeah, yeah is that a weird regressive kind of thing to say that i need to you know have chest surgery or that I have to have, you know, other kinds of interventions, hormonal interventions to be a woman. Does it, is what it all means to be a woman is to have breasts or da, 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 da. And it's an interesting, everybody's going to make different kinds of choices. And I think all those choices are valid, but it, it is a, it is an, an interesting changing morphing thing. And I, and look, I'm sure these conversations are happening within the trans community and I'm just, just not exposed to them. And I don't mean I don't to be know. acting like I'm inventing the wheel or anything here. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I worry that they're happening like, you know, these small one-offs, just two people at a time. Um, I mean, do you feel as, do you feel as a trans person that even within the trans community, there's a little, there's any stifling effect to having certain kinds of conversations? 
a stifling effect. Yeah, like there, you know, some touchiness about whether or not you know some topics are too sensitive for kind of general consumption, even among other trans folks. No, I mean, I, well, I, I'm, I mean, I'm also kind of a super free speech person, so, um, I, but I, I do think that it would be like is it like in bad faith or like people do kind of have discussions just to dunk on trans people obviously. it's true i get it's true but like uh, as a black person i i know that mm, there's like a lot of stuff i don't bring up with like nine out of ten groups of black people i just don't do it <laughs> like it's just not I, worth I ruining the barbecue i've ruined enough barbecues but like what i, I don't I, what, what do you mean can i can you give me an example yeah like i'm not gonna bring up i did i'm not gonna bring up identity politics i'm not gonna bring up how uh um What's his face? Inside? Jim Clyburn sucks. I'm not going to bring up a criticism of Kamala Harris. I'm not going to bring up a criticism of Barack Obama. I'm not going to talk about how the Democratic Party is disappointed black people. I'm not going to talk about how I'm not going to vote Democrat. I'm not going to talk about how I think black people get the least kind of representation and responsiveness in the Democratic Party because they so faithfully do vote Democrat. Oh. I, I'm not going to, I just, it's, it, I have literally ruined so many barbecues. Frankly, I might not even bring up student debt cancellation because I definitely ruined a barbecue over that a couple of years ago. <laughs> No, I mean, I just think that, like, what, you know, as is just has has been discussed here a lot, you know, how to bring us all together. Like, I've worked a lot of working class jobs. Um, a couple of years ago, I was working with uh, a lot of people who voted for Obama the first time and then didn't vote again until Bernie Sanders and then voted mm-hmm. for Trump. And, like, I do think that there's a lot of, you know, it. it there's a lot of opportunity to join forces with people like that to be like, don't you think we all deserve reparations for what happened in 2008? And we should just like give back what all the banks took from everyone. And yeah, everyone yeah. who didn't have a house can just like get a lot, you know, and like uh, let's abolish the CIA and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you could <laughs> like do those a, people you, that were watching yeah. Sean Hannity at the time yeah. for like emotional release, you know, and for the longest time I thought they were the brainwashed ones, you know, but um we're all kind of victims of you know this like culture war propaganda and stuff keeping us from um you know like if we can only talk about trans issues in seven minutes at a time then we'll never get to how they're i think we shouldn't do it broader gender oppression i gotta tell you the format on rising and the things like i see in the chat already that there's like a trans thing on the ballot for tomorrow and i'm like pissed off about it because here's what here's what happens also for sale i see you i'm coming to you next the the here's what happens so for this is the black version of what they're doing to trans people there was an incident where a black guy was holding his wife and kids or partnering kids hostage with a gun and shooting all up through the building the police came and shot him do you hear about this subsequently some black lives matter they may not be black lives matter but some black lives matter-esque protesters came and were protesting the police shooting of the black guy the wife or girlfriend, the partner, who happens to be a white woman, was in a confrontation with the protester saying, can you leave us alone? Stop harassing us. He was abusing me. He held me a hostage at gunpoint. He, he was threatening me and my kids' lives. This isn't like the cause for you. And so conservatives have taken this video clip of these Black Lives Matter her, her protesters, quote unquote, harassing this Maybe I don't mean quote unquote to undermine the legitimacy of it. It's just hard to tell exactly from the clip how much they're just there on the street. And she came up. I don't know what the context is, but harassing this 
wife or sorry, partner. I'm like <laughs> aggressively heteronormative and traditional. Um, this partner <laughs> yeah. of this uh, uh, slain guy. And they're saying like, this is how stupid these protesters are. This is how stupid this movement is. Now we're just harassing this nice lady who was like literally being tortured and held at gunpoint by this horrible man. And it validates the narratives about blue lives and all that. And it's going to put me in this position where either I have to say, yes, I think this is a, a bad event and try to carve out, but I still think that Black Lives Matter is legitimate. And yes, maybe the police could have still disarmed this guy without killing him. And they've taken so many white people like Dylan Rufin who were armed and dangerous as well. And it doesn't mean the Black Lives Matter people aren't justified in protesting just because this guy was a bad guy. It's not about whether or not you're a bad guy. It's about due process rights. I make that argument and I'm losing credibility because to be honest, this is not the case I would pick to defend Black Lives Matter, <laughs> right? Like, this is obviously not the case for me. This is not my Rosa Parks. This is my <laughs> pregnant teen, right? Yeah. God bless her, but, like, this is not the one I would have picked. And what, what ends up happening in the show is that the selection of the clips makes me confront that choice over and over again. So they do the same thing with trans issues. They find, like, some, like, out of the out of the out of the box example of some trans overreach, some crazy thing. Oh, a woman not allowed, you know, not not allowed to give birth because she wouldn't check up. You know, something just absurd and like fringe that like almost never happens, mm-hmm. but will be used as an example for why this whole trans Michigan is so silly and we should ignore it or vote against Democrats right. because of it. Yeah, and it's about the selection of the clips. It's there's nothing that you can say or do in the moment because if you shout them down and you say your truth and you say like da, 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 trans rights black lives matter all the things you've you've come out even right you you have not won a single person over if anything mm-hmm. your own credibility is diminished because you're going to bat for something that to 99 percent of people sounds crazy yeah i mean and i, I remember it used to be like people were afraid to call themselves feminists. Um, and I think that that's also like a bit of where I think Kim Iverson is coming from. Like, what the fuck? I remember when it was like, I was alone in the woods with my leftism and now you're calling me a bigot. Right. Um, and I do, I am like afraid of making people afraid to be queer. Right. Cause we're just this like clownish group of, uh... but that I do feel like that is like, it's a smear campaign that we need to fight against with more conversations and with like more olive branches and stuff. Like, I also want to ask, do you remember uh, the vice news piece about what happened at the evergreen state college that like made Brett Weinstein famous? No. Um, (laughs) Do you know who Brett Weinstein is? Mm, Yeah. He's a columnist, right? Well, he, he was a biology teacher at, at my college, the Evergreen State College. I mean, oh, wait, this is familiar. Keep going. <clears throat> so the way that Vice News covered it was like they only showed the teenagers at the school. And Vice, I mean, and the Evergreen State College is like a famously like leftist school. Like there's no grades. Um, but it's also a like older school. Like most people are over the age of 25. Hmm. But there was going to be a protest 
uh, where all the white people were like asked to not show up one day. Right. And then this. Brett Weinstein called that racist, which if you were like in a philosophy class and you were like, well, isn't that racist against white people? Like in an abstract sense, it wouldn't mm. have been so crazy. But like into the uh, what was happening culturally, especially at that school where like that's a place where like long like back in the early aughts there were like things being said that weren't said until like like there was a lot of talk about like how this is a white supremacist country back when i was going there and Mm -hmm. uh so like it was just like ahead of the curve in that way Mm -hmm. and vice news did this piece that was just like uh look at these crazy kids like holding this teacher hostage and are trying to get him fired and they're locking him in a room and everything you know and it, it made us in the school look so bad but it just felt like well that's because you're only focusing on like the 17 year olds that like this is the first time they've ever felt power in their life yeah. you know yeah and so they're like fuck brett because everyone calls people by their first name at that school <laughs> um and that's how you know brett has a platform now yeah and that's the, that's the thing we create we give these people power like they're dying yeah. to be canceled and then we cancel them and then here we go but look i, I really enjoyed talking to you becca and people are like pass the duchy pass the duchy like i get it but like unless there's a bunch of more trans people in the chat i am gonna linger and linger with trans folks so everyone's gonna have to deal with it today but i'm being told thank you so much becca thanks so much yeah um First, uh, people are telling me that for sale for some reason is someone I should call on. And then the chat is very united on this. So I'm going to call you for sale. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. Thank you. Dazzle me. Dazzle me with your insights because (laughs) people were clamoring for you. All right. So um, this. So first off, I'm not trans, but the information I will provide you all does tie into what you're talking about, okay? Because uh, basically everything we're experiencing today in the political climate is, can all be tied back to Cambridge Analytica. Have you ever heard of them? Of course. Okay. Uh, so the Facebook data scandal that happened, they uh, drug Facebook in front of all the uh, media outlets and made a big spectacle out of it. Yeah, the company that actually stole our data and then used it to help get Trump elected mm-hmm. was called Cambridge Analytica. Um, nobody from that was held accountable. Surprise, surprise, because uh, they were all tied to British royalty and one percenters. So they just walked their happy ass over and opened a new company called Immer Data Limited, doing the exact same shit they were doing before, which is uh, the parent company of Cambridge Analytica was SEL Group that started in 1990 uh, using uh, behavioral, what was it? Well, basically, uh, psychological warfare. Uh, mm-hmm. They used it in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, to basically convert people and pit the societies against each other. Um, they, uh, the creator of all of this, so the main funder that started it, that kind of stuff, um, was Robert Mercer. Uh, he has his PhD in computer science and was a early uh, developer of artificial intelligence. Um, And all of this information that I'm going to spew out here (laughs) can be verified through the source sheet uh, in my like link in bio. Um, uh, You can look this stuff up on Google, uh, YouTube, all that kind of stuff to educate yourselves on it. 
So for sale, help me understand kind of briefly how this relates to the episode. Sure. So um, are you wondering why uh, trans rights are being targeted? LGBT rights are being targeted. Women's rights are being targeted. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> this has been a long-term plan uh, for this group of people uh, behind this for a long time. Um, Theocracy Watch uh, was a group at Cornell University that had put together several videos, a website, all kinds of stuff, educating people on a uh, Christian ideology called uh, Christian Reconstructionist ideology, which I had never heard of. So it did don't like the sound of that. I <laughs> uh, know. Yeah, tell me about it. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> I promise. Um, started looking into it. It was created by a guy named Rush Dooney. Uh, his family, quote unquote, fled Armenia to the United States, pregnant with him. Had him soon after getting here. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Armenia was under Russian control at the time. Surprise, surprise. And Armenia is located pretty much directly beside Iraq, Iran, and Syria. And I can promise you, none of those countries are our friends, <laughs> right? So brought that over, uh, created this extremely radical form of Christianity called Christian Reconstructionist Ideology, wrote several books on it, on basically how to create your own Christian nation, um, and influenced several major Christian writers in the U.S., and then when he was here, combined that radical Christianity uh, with homeschooling. So he was a big homeschooling pusher along with it. So tell me what a radical form of a religion plus homeschooling after generations creates. What? Extremists. Mm. Which we are experiencing now. So how did that get into Cambridge Analytica and what's the long game? Um, Cambridge Analytica uh, is still in business as Emmerdanda Limited, doing the exact same shit. Um, they do everything from, uh, and they have video evidence of them admitting to this. They, they bribe, they entrapment, they uh, honeypot, they hire strippers, orgies, coke, like whatever these people have to do to get politicians to do what they want, um, they will absolutely do it. Uh, and with the AI technology and all of our data, they have psychological and personality profiles created for pretty much every person in America, right? And it's so detailed, they can target specific areas in specific communities. So one of the links on my resource sheet is a Channel 4 investigation where they got hold of the database that they used to help get Trump elected, which also, by the way, they helped get Ted Cruz elected. Surprise, surprise. Because he needs every fucking helpful thing out there. <laughs> to win an election. Um, so the Channel 4 investigation uh, basically said that um, they targeted black communities. No way. Not right. Republicans targeting black communities. That's crazy. Um, but with this technology, uh, because they can create ads, they can uh, basically. Yeah, no, I, I, rem I remember this all from the Cambridge Analytical scandal. They particularly you know, were telling black people that the government doesn't work for you, the Democratic Party doesn't work for you, all the stuff, because mm -hmm. I remember being asked about it in the Bernie campaign, and mm -hmm. I was like, well, the problem is that it's true, and if you want to resist that kind of uh, spamming, you got to just make it not true, and I got in trouble for saying that. So I remember all of this, but you're, you're saying that a part of all of that was intentionally focusing on trans issues because they knew they were going to be polarizing. 
Yep. So uh, in in that video, you can go on YouTube, Google, uh, I don't know, Channel 4, uh, Cambridge Analytica, targeting black people, and it should pop up, right? Um, but basically, they showed the areas and the neighborhoods that they targeted uh, were specifically full of minorities, and it would decrease voter turnout from like 80%, 85% was the normal average to 50% or lower. Like that is how fucking effective this stuff is. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, but, I'm sorry, I'm just really trying to connect this back to the episode. And you're saying that specifically this was pushing trans messaging? So, yeah. So it's it uh, disproportionately targeted minorities, which includes trans people, LGBT, black, Mexican, everything. Right. So all, all minorities. Um, but everything ties back to this because Trump wouldn't have got elected the first time and we wouldn't be in this situation having these three illegitimate Supreme Court justices that he put in place if it wasn't for Cambridge Analytica and which is now Emmer data. And it's how they continue to win elections and why our societies are so divisive. Like if you line up the authoritarian, well, the rise of authoritarian right wing governments across the globe right now, because I thought that was weird. I was like, why in the hell is all these countries like moving to the right all of a sudden? Like there's nothing that explains it. Uh, so I got to thinking about the documentary, The Great Hack with Cambridge Analytica. And I was like, okay, is this company out of business? Nope. <laughs> Still in business as Emmer Data. Um, every election they've been caught influencing, which we only know of 200, all of them went to right-wing authoritarian candidates. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I appreciate that uh, for sale. And I think that it's we should definitely probably do an, an episode about Cambridge Analytica and the kind of um, inf election influencing that is hap going to happen in midterms in the general election. And also, you know, with respect to the Christopher Rufus of the world who are pretty explicit about how they promote certain kind of messaging to advance you know, the interest of the right. But I do want to go ahead and turn this conversation back a little bit more squarely to what happened in the episode this, today, because we're in the midst of some really sure. interesting conversations about this trans messaging stuff in particular, but I appreciate you calling in. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's go to Aaliyah. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind, Aaliyah. I saw you on Twitter saying you were hoping you would be able to call in today and that I shouldn't start too early. So we're here at nine o'clock at night because of you. <laughs> Gosh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was wondering too. I was like, oh my God, 7.30. I actually have 30 minutes to go home. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Wow. This episode was pretty spicy. Um, definitely an interesting topic that I was um, fully intrigued by. You don't have to sugarcoat it. Let us know what you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I definitely agree with you as far as, like, just comms being really important for the cause. Um, and there is a way to just say certain things. Because I feel like when you say, when you immediately jump to calling someone racist or calling someone transphobic, for example, they they really just, like, I feel like they shut down. I feel like they, they don't, they just stop listening. They aren't really open if if they were open before open to like hearing you out i feel like if you if you jump to to that conclusion 
so quickly. And I, I've honestly done that myself before just out of like being upset, like, you know, why would you say that? You know, whatever. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think sometimes I think we just need to take a step back and like realize that not everyone is a bad faith actor. Obviously I, don't think Josh Hawley is going to change his his mind right. um, about this topic at all. Um, but like you said, obviously he like there are, you know, a lot of people that have seen this exchange, you know, with that professor and a lot of people, you know, watching these people on the news and you know in other forms of media. And it's, you know, I do agree with you. I think more so that it's not really going to get us anywhere if we're just too like aggressive to everyone obviously you know some people are just too far gone they're bigots whatever like you're not gonna change their mind they they're not trying to listen but for those few that may still you know be able to be swayed you know we should just kind of take take a a more laid-back approach I feel you know yeah i think if you're one-on-one with josh holly like cuss his ass out like right. <laughs> read him the dozens you know call him everything you know and in, in the book right but you know you gotta my feeling is that you should always be talking as though there's a good faith listener listening yeah and maybe that's only one out of a hundred people one out of a thousand people it might be two out of ten people but if the goal is coalition building and convincing people and all of that then you don't want to lose your potential audience, your potential comrades by pretending like they're a lost cause. And this is why, you know, I've written articles in the past. People got mad at me because I've defended Bernie saying like, I don't want to call Trump voters racist. I'll call Trump racist, but I don't want to call Trump. And it's, and it's that same principle. It's not that they aren't racist or like everyone's not racist. (laughs) Like it's not about that. It's about like, why are you asking me, to basically say something to a group of people, some of which might come and do the thing that you all want them to do, which is vote for a Democrat. <laughs> like, why would you ask me to purposefully alienate them just for vibes? Like, to, <laughs> just to win points with you, a Democratic Party is just going to go and kneecap my campaign anyway. Like, what? <laughs> what, is the, what is the point of this? Like, this could just be unsaid, or this could be an argument that's made in a more pointed way that actually you know, is attacking the people with power who should be the focus of the critique, not some random schmo in you know Virginia who may or may not have racial views that I agree with but has voted Democrat in the past and might vote Democrat again and isn't that the point of me running for president right right and I definitely like I I work at a bank or credit union technically and I see all the time like I live in a conservative area so I'm I'm constantly interacting with these people who are sometimes very blatantly Trump supporters like they'll have their you know Trump hats on and Mm -hmm. you know be all bold with it um and they just you can just tell they're like normal people that like again not speaking for all of them but some of them are just like normal people that really are just very ignorant and I feel like need have, have been brainwashed in a lot of ways as well just you know due to whatever Fox News or or what have you but I, I don't know. I just feel like there is still, you know, a chance that we could get some of these people to maybe change their tune, flip their tune. Cause I mean, we've seen it before with, I'm sure you've seen like comments and stuff like, 
oh, I used to be a hardcore right winger, and now yep. suddenly I'm like, you know, a socialist. So I feel all the like time, yeah, yeah, all the time. That's the those are the comments. People like don't read the comments. Those are the comments I scan the rising videos for, and I can tell. Yeah. Like sometimes, like I lose a little of my control and I'll say that like I'll make a kind of a low hanging fruit joke about some conservative and I'll, I called Lauren Boebert like a dumbass or something <laughs> in, in my last radar. And I, and I think to myself like, okay, Lauren Boebert is like a, an objective dumbass. Yeah. But like, should I have pulled my punch a little bit to like land the point about how we should be afraid of theocracy? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I kind of felt like she's so disrespectful. Like she's so like not treated seriously by most conservatives that it was fair enough for me to be like, she's a dipshit. Yeah. And to really focus my critique on why aren't other conservatives calling her out on this? Cause it's not really about her. It's about like the fact that she's allowed to just be in the party and no one even has a problem with this kind of rhetoric. Yeah. But you know, I, I weigh those kinds of considerations, not because there's any question about the dumbassery of Lauren Berber. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 It's I, again, like I, I agree with you ultimately, like I do absolutely understand where Esperanza was coming from. I definitely think there are absolutely bigger issues. I mean, we, For I sure. mean, we, we talk about, well, not we, I mean, I'm not on the podcast, but you know, you talk about a lot, like, and you know, it's we, the- <laughs> we're all this together, Leah. <laughs> okay. Okay. We, um, yeah. I mean, we talk about like how a lot of these issues like housing and, you know, workers rights or what have you aren't talked about enough um at all and you know obviously that goes for trans people as well that are clearly you know facing the brunt of a lot of this um inequality and yeah i i think you know messaging is really important ultimately for the cause and i think we we do sometimes just need to take a step back and just you know see the bigger picture you know yeah, 100% agree. I appreciate you calling in, Aaliyah. I'm glad we were able to get our timing together. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Bree. Have a good night. You too. Keep the faith. Okay, I'm going to go to Raya, and then I'm going to go to the front of the line. You've been very patient, front of line. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind, Raya? Oh, I'm super related to what you were just talking about, but my question is especially, like, how do we convince other leftists in that kind of, like, well, Kim was calling the activist group. How do we convince them of the need for this messaging to build that broad coalition? Because like for context, I'm just the, and I'm at university and I'm in these kind of activist spaces and mutual aid spaces. And so many of my peers, I feel like are like, we talk about Marxist theory, we talk about organizing, we talk about all these things, but there's that disconnect with convincing them of like, as frustrating as, people who are ignorant can be and like a lot of times white people can be and men can be it's like we do ultimately need them in our broad coalition so like what messaging is effective for convincing other leftists of the use of messaging i was with you till you said men but we absolutely don't need that (laughs) i kid i kid um girl i don't know it is tough um I don't know. Like, so there's a lot of things. So you're, you're saying you're in college now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We are a generation apart and I don't, I think it's a harder road road for you than it would have been for me in college because of the way things have changed for good and bad reasons. I think that y'all are way more informed and for lack of a better word, and I don't mean this pejoratively woke Mm -hmm. 
like hip to the goings on uh, and political than we were when we were in college. However, I think that also has weirdly come with this activist culture, whatever that is, that we didn't have to really contend with in those same ways. I think my generation doesn't have an expectation that people are like not bigoted. (laughs) When I was in college, people were openly homophobic, like the nice people, (laughs) quote in quotation marks, obviously like, like, like it was like casual. Um, When I was in college, like, there wasn't a lot of interracial anything happening. Like it just wasn't even on the radar really. When I was in college, I don't know, like the biggest thing to think about was like hookup culture. Like, and nowadays you guys don't even, you think that like having a boyfriend or girlfriend or non-binary partner is like uh, the most regressive thing that ever happened. It's like, you guys are like in a different universe than us. I don't know what to do about that because I do think that the only the toxic part of it isn't like the the wokeness. Obviously, it's that part of that definition of wokeness that is the presumption that everyone should already agree. Mm-hmm. That's the part that becomes a problem because that's the barrier to coalition building or seeing people as potential allies. It, it basically sets you up to only preach to the choir. And it's so much of the left that has that. It's like you the, the Democratic Party has set itself up so that it 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 legitimately thinks the way forward is to convince Starbucks holding Connecticut suburbanites who voted for Reagan instead of the people who literally just voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. Like it boggles my mind, like literally like eight years ago in 2016, they like just voted for Obama or even four years ago, they literally just did it, but they were willing to throw that all away and say like, those people are deplorables. We're not going to, think about them anymore and I, I don't know man like I, I'm sitting here I'm a black woman people say trust black women but lol mm-hmm. I, I feel like if you know there are people who I think to the extent that people invest authority and identity I, I found myself telling people like don't care about that stuff I'm black and I'm willing to talk to people who are openly bigoted toward me like maybe consider doing so yourself like maybe consider there's appeal like there's a benefit to talking to people who don't already agree, agree with all of your priors even if it's painful I understand like I get it I get it I'm a black woman I get it I feel that dissonance I'm offended by people it's not always easy sometimes I lose my cool but I get it I try to relate on that level and it doesn't often work. Like I, I tried a little bit of that in the, today's episode. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what to do as a trans person, but like, this is how I feel about it from a black perspective. And it, it doesn't, I, I don't know. I don't, I do not know. It's so deeply ingrained that it almost feels like an op. Like it's, it's like the perfect message you would implant in a community. If you wanted them to never grow their ranks, mm-hmm. it's a poison pill. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah one of those things that I'm almost like concerned about within my generation is it feels like there's even a backlash with a lot of the people in university well not a lot of us like there's the odd and I'm Canadian but there's like Mm -hmm. the odd person in my women in politics class who's wearing her MAGA hat and it's just like it feels like there's even that backlash within my generation of people Mm -hmm. who are reacting against that idea of like well you should already know this and not be bigoted and all that kind of thing so that's why I'm not to make it depressing for everyone, but like I'm concerned that that backlash is happening everywhere, even with 
a lot of these places that it's like, you should already know that this is wrong and here's why. And also kind of tangentially with that is like, I think what it almost feels like is that a lot of the more leftists and people in the university kind of spaces, we're almost missing that like, quote unquote, classic leftist um, things about like free speech and why cancel culture is bad. And it almost feels like we have that disconnect of that conversation that's going on with more so like millennials and older generations of like, obviously Twitter, which is a monopolistic company run by billionaires shouldn't be dictating free speech. Like I get that, but I feel like an outlier that other people in my generation don't have that same awareness of. It's, it's frustrating because you can see the same way that we as like Bernie style left is kind of identified with the cultural touch points were in 2016. And we could all see this train kind of coming. Like Trump was talking about racism in Mexicans, but he was also talking about TPP. He was talking about sending jobs overseas. He was talking about NAFTA. He, there were all of these things. There's the whole like level of conversation that was going on that was galvanizing people that the Democratic Party was just ignoring and pretending like it was all 100% about uh, bigotry and, you know, I, I you know, ha- hatred. Like that was his entire message. And so when he would make a square critique of Hillary Clinton about NAFTA or something, and she would like wave it off and then go back to talking about intersectionality. She seemed wildly out of touch. And then her campaign, they couldn't understand why people didn't care more about the bigotry stuff. And I think they might've been able to focus on that more if she was being honest. Like there's another candidate who also offered those like cultural, like the, whatever the touch points were, the goodies, like the things that were really motivating people like Bernie was, but no, they had their choice between someone who understood what caused the economic plight that they were in, but also was going to be a bigot or someone who was out of touch. And then also was like going to give them, I guess, intersectionality, but also had this whole demonstrated history of frankly being a bigot herself. And so like the people went with Trump and nowadays I'm looking around and I'm like, here's what's going to motivate the election. It's all of this shit. And, 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 I, and I don't think the democratic party should bend the knee on trans issues or bend the knee on the culture war stuff. But I do think that in order to get them to not care about that culture war stuff, you got to feed them the real core of the stuff that actually matters and acknowledge, yeah, free speech is an issue. Don't let, don't let, but that's the easy one. Don't let Republicans own free speech. That has been a fundamental left issue since time immemorial. Don't just don't let them have it. Like that, that was what was so, I think, fundamentally frustrating to me. You know, and I want to say, you know, I adore Ole and I substantively agreed with her and I thought she did a wonderful job in the clip. But the, the one part of the, the thing that like bothered me, it's like, it feels like just admit that you think that free speech is important. And I know it's not a constitutional, it's not, it's not that you have a constitutional right to say what you want on the Twitter. People were saying that on Twitter today as well. Like that obviously isn't what we mean, but if you think your rights should be limited to what's literally in the constitution, I got some words for you about Dobbs and Roe v. Wade. <laughs> like, are we really going to start saying that? Obviously your substantive you know, ability to express yourself in all of these public forums is really important, which is why we talk about Section 230. We talk about all of these issues and these new public squares that are, uh, operate digitally. Um, and so, like, the one part, the reason I think I finally wanted to do this is because it feels like that whole conversation, like, we would be, be able to get to a much more interesting conversation and a conversation where the left had more credibility if you would just say, yeah, I understand your speech concerns. I understand them. They are important, significant. It matters. And then you can pivot to, and therefore I don't think we should ban Jordan Peterson, or you can pivot to, um, you know, 
the speech concerns are really important, but because of the unique threat that trans people are under, I still think that we have to allow that Twitter should ban Jordan Peterson. Or because fascism is on the march in America, we should need to take any win we can get from these companies and we'll deal with when they ban us when they ban us. I might not agree with that, but like at least you've acknowledged the root concern that is motivating so many Americans. Free speech, free speech. But instead of just like talking past it and pretending like it's not a thing, I don't know, like you're just, I just see the credibility draining out of the left. Mm-hmm. And that was what I found like so particularly frustrating about Esperanza's points because like I so feel for her and it's so frustrating to have to constantly like feel like we're making concessions to not yeah. hurt other people's feelings and we're the ones who we get dismissed and called snowflakes when it's like they're making the point of like well you need to be polite to me you need to attract me with sugar instead of honey which like I I agree with Kim's point on that of like yeah we do need to do that broad coalition building and it's you're not going to do it with vinegar but anyways like i think as Ferranza was kind of edging towards a point about like almost reframing things to talk about getting that quote-unquote like sleepy metal to realize like yeah you need us as marginalized people as people of color as people who are trans all of those people as part of your political project too like we are also in solidarity but i feel like she without conceding that point of like yes free speech is important kind of missed out on the opportunity to move the discourse to those more substantive issues yeah yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and I don't mean that as like as a criticism either it's just an observation like I think that was a rich conversation that obviously resonated with a lot of people it got a lot of traction I think for good reason because I think there is also room in the space for a more kind of you know um declarative expressive you know validating you know yeah preaching to the choir but like bolstering your troops i think has its own role and and i think that's great but also in the broader term longer term you know someone someone has to have a little bit of an eye toward look people don't some people don't like kim iverson she has takes obviously you hear us on the show that i don't agree with many of them I don't like the choice of the, some of the segments. I think that it has a broader effect, even if it's not the not any one segment. It's the certain kind of skepticism that can be bred about certain kind of topics, and I find it to be a little frustrating, and I'm figuring out how to deal with that. But the reality is that Kim Iverson is very popular. She is the most popular person on the Hill. Her videos do better than everybody else's by a factor of 10. <laughs> her radars regularly get over six figures. She is very popular on her own right. The way that she communicates with people resonates with a lot of people. And she sees herself as a leftist, whether or not you agree with her. So you have two options. You tell her she's not a leftist. She's not a leftist. She's not a leftist until she stops self-identifying as a leftist and goes Joe Rogan and starts talking about how much she loves Ron DeSantis Or when she says something specific that you think that's out of line with leftist values, you could say, hey, Kim, as a leftist, don't you think that da-da-da-da isn't consistent? And you try to pull her back in the direction of you and along with her audience and all of those other kinds of things. I don't know. Like, I just don't see the point in pushing, pushing, pushing people away, <laughs> especially when they're influential people with a lot of reach who have a lot of public appeal. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that too, of like, we need 
to pull them in our direction. We need them and their platforms. And that was kind of the thing with Joe Rogan, like, think of him what you will. But like a year or two ago, where it was like, he was supporting Bernie and all those things Like we, and I mean, like, my dad loves Kim Iverson. And I would say my dad's more of like the older leftist kind of thing. But it's like, we very much do need all of these people to be pulled more into the leftist direction. And so, like, that's why I'm so frustrated with that question of like, how do we fight that, like, who's a true leftist impulse to alienate people that aren't as far left or aren't correct with us that I especially see like with my peers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, the fact that you're out there and thinking about these things and of your generation is like wonderful. And every generation has its challenges and yours is more equipped than most, I think to handle them. And I don't know, just thank you so much for, calling in you're so much more engaged than I was at your age I I'm like heartened by your presence here in the chat thank you so much for a fantastic episode and please keep doing this type of conversation again thank you Raya keep the faith thank you bye all right Isaac my patient friend how are you doing uh can you hear me I can hear you Isaac okay sweet yeah uh I don't really know where to begin I've been I I took notes on the episode and then I and then I took notes on what people were saying. Uh you're like I my think, mom. She like literally I, can't listen unless she's sitting down with a pad and paper. It, pe- people have so much good stuff to say that it's hard not to. Like like I want to bring things up. Like uh just the last person who called in, that's the last time I called in, I said that's why I love leftism as a term, because we're all working you know, in the same direction. Um, what, what else? Uh, I, I'm going to skip a bunch of other stuff that I had written down. I do want to know that that one guy who like jumped the line. Yes. I, I would like for that person to respond to just, you know, like, what about the George W. Bush election? What about Bush v. Gore? Like, what's going on there? You you can't go, you know, hundreds of years and then just say, hey, like, here's this thing that popped out in, like, 2016. And everything prior to that was leading up to it. Yeah, I mean, let's 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 get to the meat. Let's get to the meat, Isaac. What, yes. You have a whole list of things in front of you. What, what do you what do you what do you think about the episode? What do you think about some of these topics? I don't know if I should go back to this kind of list of things I had written down. Um, what, I mean, we can compare. Words, you know, I mean, in terms of I read it at the top of the episode, this idea of like words as violence as, you know, an, is that an effective kind of rallying cry? This idea of, you know, this kind of transessentialism we talked about a little bit and about you know, this younger generation thinking differently about what it means to be trans and whether the emphasis on you know, hormonal interventions and stuff and surgeries are as important to them, you know, whether or not, you know, there is a kind of an activist language, whether you want want to characterize it as academic, that's not necessarily in the best interest of this movement, the same way that people have made the case about Latinx and other kinds of black Mm -hmm. speak. Um, You know, the, you know, what do you, what do you, what, what resonates with you? I I, (laughs) pretty much everything that you said, uh, I have something written down on the first one is that referring to uh, transphobe not being a slur. Yeah, let's talk about that. That hasn't come up yet. 
Because <clears throat> I, I don't think it is. Because it applies, or it can apply, to anybody. So what are we calling a slur? What is the definition of a slur? My computer died. I was going to get up and get a charger, but you guys are too interesting, and I couldn't really sneak away. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I go with, like, pejorative as no, the definition gonna, first, for that? First, Brianna Gray is going to Google on her phone. <clears throat> slur. What do we get? Wait, but also, were you there? I I can't hear you. <clears throat> if you're there, I can't hear you. And also, I, pe I, I see people crying and clapping, but I can't hear you. I, I, I cannot hear you at all. Oh God. Hey, did I like completely gray out when I went to try to find the definition of slur? Yes, and just now I picked you back up. You you literally said, I am going to look up slur, and then you disappeared. Ugh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I read it many times, and then I had a whole colloquy no! about it. Um, okay, the short, the Sparks Nose version is, I can't pull it up on my phone, because apparently if I do, it'll cut me out of this thing. But um, the definition was like, okay, you know what? Just give me, like, literally give me 30 seconds. Give me 30 seconds. Give me 30 seconds. One second. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe chime in every 10 so I can still hear you. Okay, one second, one second, one second. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Yeah. I'm bringing the wire around. I'm plugging in, I'm plugging in, I'm putting my headphones back on. Okay, we're back. Yeah, I, I, I'm wired up too. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, the point was the definition um, had a part that was like, it's disparaging of character, of, you know. So yeah, I think um, it's obviously disparaging of character to call somebody you know, bigot or homophobe or racist in a culture where broadly we understand those things to be bad. But my point was that I think that when Kim said it was a slur, the implication was that you're calling me that not because I am the thing, but because you're only trying to disparage my character. And Esperanza's point is like, no, you are the thing. And if it disparages your character, that's incidental because we live in a world where it's bad to be those things. But it doesn't mean you're not, you're not that thing. I mean, 
I pulled up pejorative and the very first one, it actually does say disparaging and then, you know, implying or imputing evil and all that stuff. But I, maybe this is semantic and is not worth a road going down, like uh, getting into like racism and systemic racism and trying to, you know, push those apart. Because I, I personally think that, like, if somebody says, hey, that's a slur, like, you're going to equate it to other slurs? Well, no, like, people are like, slur is like the N-word. No, that's not, like, slur is like a lot of things. Like, here's the actual definition. An insinuation or allegation about someone that is likely to insult them or damage their reputation. I mean, calling someone racist definitely does that. <laughs> but the the problem with calling that a slur isn't that it's not a slur. It's that people do that to try to undermine the credibility of the actual sub- substantive part of it. If I say if I say you're racist and you say that's a slur, the implication is that you're not a racist. You're, Brianna's just trying to make me look bad. Brianna's just trying to hurt me. And no, it's like maybe I think that you are in fact a racist. It does also damage your reputation. It so is then, also like insulting because I think racism is bad, and so I'm clearly insulting you by calling you a racist. I don't think we need to like pretend that otherwise. But I think that the talking past each other was that Kim was Kim was implying that like you're not you don't really think that I hate trans people or that I'm actively working against trans people or that I wouldn't support pro trans policies or anything. You just want to hurt me. And Esperanza is saying, no, I don't just want to hurt you. I'm substantively thinking that you are hurting trans people. You are working against trans people. You do have a bias against trans people. And that was a disconnect. It's not really about the word use. It's about what the implication was, I think. Is, is there a different term that can be used specifically for uh, attacking a marginalized group? Other than homophobe? Not not homophobe, like any racist, homophobic, like xenophobic, transphobic, like no, any. I don't, I don't have a problem of those using, terms. I don't have a problem using any of those words. I think that you should just use them judiciously. But but like like <laughs> if I say you know to my boss, hey, what you just said is like racist because they said the n word. I don't think that that's the same as saying somebody is a transphobe, which like I, I don't know. It, it, it's it, transphobe. No, I I don't. At, at least in terms of like a word being a slur, and that's that's why I said, is there a different word that we can use? Wait, look, I'm fascinated by this. What is the difference between calling someone a racist and calling someone a transphobe in your eyes? It I I misspoke because those are both kind of punching up words whereas that that's not what i'm trying to say okay like it because yeah no i i fully agree and as soon as i said that i was like dang it my words are not matching up with my mind <laughs> um but to like calling <laughs> yeah okay let's completely yeah, no, it's a, it's not racist and transphobe. It's transphobe and the N-word. Like, are those two equivalent? No, like, I think that you guys have this really pedantic understanding of what the word slur is, which is why I read the definition a million times. Slur, I know that you guys think that slur and racial epithet are the same. They're not. It's not. Those are not the same thing. Uh, but uh, also the same as faggot. 
which I'm going to toss out there. I'm a homo. Okay. I was about to say, like, sir, <laughs> this is I, Wendy's. <laughs> I know. I, I have that privilege. Uh, no, but, like, it, like, are those two the same? Are the F word and what other word? And but, transphobe. No, they're not the... They're not the... I don't understand. I guess I don't understand the question. Be, because transphobe is not something that refers to a specific group of people. It's something that can be applied to anybody. Right, and but I, I'm saying a slur is not that either. A, sl- a slur it, does not have to be applied to a certain group of people. Like, listen to right. this definition. You're, you're trying to, I, I'm trying to say both things can be slurs, not that both things are the same as each other. Like, slur is the big circle in the Venn diagram, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Big circle, with yeah, that, which is the N word, the F word, transphobia, racism, a bunch of things. But also, there are also other things. Like, each of those things are, are concentric with another circle outside of the Venn diagram, outside of the slur, like half in, half out, and connecting with other circles. And, and so I'm curious about the smaller circles. Okay. If like if they're all slurs, how are you going to differentiate between calling somebody a transphobe and calling someone the f word? Well, who cares or, if they're all slurs? Why do, I can differentiate? You know, a, a, a picture frame and a pizza box are both rectangles, but I can differentiate between them. Like I don't understand why it matters that I can refer to both of those. They're still completely different things. I I think that maybe this is getting back to the power dynamic thing then, because if somebody is going to go on Twitter, which is what was being discussed, and, you know, attack Esperanza and call her all sorts of hateful things. Oh, have and they? I've deliberately spent my whole day off of Twitter. I've been I, 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 I don't know. I've never been on Twitter. <laughs> and it, not not that I never have, but I, I've ne- I don't have an account and I don't pay up attention to it but like attacking her it's not the same thing as attacking kim as i don't think that she's a transphobe but if oh i see what you're getting at i see what you're getting at yeah yeah i don't think so here, here like again this is this is the issue esperanza is making a substantive claim about kim's beliefs whether or not you agree with it esperanza is making a substantive claim about kim's beliefs that kim is transphobic Mm -hmm. Kim challenges that saying, I don't know what your definition of transphobic is, but if I interpersonally like trans people, if I support pro-trans laws, if I oppose anti-trans laws, etc., it seems to me a tall order to describe me as transphobic. Esperanza disagrees saying that your takes for various reasons, you can listen to the episode, I don't mean to mischaracterize Esperanza, mean that you're transphobic. Kim, because she sees herself again, substantively as not transphobic for all the aforementioned reasons, says, well, you're only leveraging, leveling that term at me. Since there's nothing substantive there in Kim's view, you're only leveling that term at me to hurt me and to shut me down and to silence me and to use that as use it as just a slur. So I think that transphobe is both a substantive claim that's legitimate and also a slur. Because it does have the effect of, let's pull the definition up, it has the effect of insulting a person and damaging their reputation. Mm-hmm. And Kim is saying, you're only saying it as a slur because I'm obviously not a transphobe. And, and 
Esperanza saying, no, no, I think you actually are substantively a transphobe. That's the debate. So I, I think it I, can be a slur and, and the issue is whether it's just a slur or if it's a slur and, and that's the kind of the two positions that people are taking, but people are acting like, like it is not, I, I don't know. It like boggles my mind when people are like, I called you a racist. And then the conservative person is like, I'm not a racist. You're just calling me that as a slur. And the liberal will say, it's not a slur. It's like, obviously it's a disparaging thing to call somebody a racist. It doesn't mean it's not true, but don't pretend it's not obviously a disparaging thing to call someone a racist. You just mean it. Just say you mean it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I guess that my entire issue with it was the power dynamic thing. Mm. Just because I like to put my cards on the table. Like I would agree with Kim in that situation and, you know, being, or maybe, wait, do I, uh, I don't know. I I think that transphobe is probably equivalent to like cracker. Like it doesn't it doesn't mean much because of the power dynamic. And yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, can yeah be, it can be weaponized. It can be weaponized, but like what else do yeah. people have to yeah. use or to say? I, <laughs> to, I, I see what you're saying. And I, I and you're and you're right. It's not equally weighted obviously being transphobic and being called a transphobe are not the same thing being a racist and doing a racism in the world and hurting people of non you know of, of historically discriminated groups is not the same thing in terms of the effect on you in your life as being called a racist i mean that's obviously true i mean not so obviously to some people i guess which is why we keep having to have this conversation right like people have constantly called donald trump a racist and like where is that gotten us but the, I mean, the problem is like the, my only sensitivity to this is, and maybe I'm overly sensitive to the right. I've gotten that critique, and I'm open to it. I'm I'm just trying to figure things out in real time with you guys. But the, the like I, I I played this clip of Tucker Carlson on the show before, where he preemptively says on his show all the time, they're gonna say I'm a racist. They are gonna mm-hmm. accuse me of racism because they don't want me to speak, and they want to shut me down, and they want to silence me. And so you have all these people hyper attuned to whether or not you're making a good faith accusation of racism. And so frequently, so many of these quote unquote, well-meaning liberals, many of whom are white, throw around these accusations of of racism way willy nilly. And they can only back up like 25% of it. And even that 25%, they don't often have the language to explain. Right. And so we end up with all these situations, like the white woman who got shot at by her black partner and da, 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 and the Black Lives Matter protesters. Over and over again, you've got people picking fights that like are not the winning fights. Like that's like a metaphor for all of the kind of rhetorical battles that a lot of well-meaning white liberals get us into. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "You're a racist." Da, 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 da. They say all these things, and then like the conservatives are like, "You're the boy who cried wolf." And then we're left holding the bag, like not able to prove to anybody that there's real racism going on, or that sometimes black people really are unfairly shot by the police. And maybe this black guy also could have been taken down without ex- the use of the force that killed him. I don't know much about the case, so I'm not gonna opine on that. But the point of the matter is, like we we are just left hand holding the bag. I'm just asking people to be just a little bit more cautious about how they make those claims. Not that the claims aren't legitimate. And that the words aren't are right to use. Right. It, well, I mean, like, that's another one of the things that I wrote down from, I don't know if it was in the episode or whatever, but, uh, like, I don't know, that 
has been around for a while, but like, don't call people a transphobe. Like, tell them, hey, what you said is transphobic. Yeah, that's like um, conflict resolution 101. Right. When you're with your partner, <laughs> like, don't say you always do or you're the kind of person who just be like, the thing you said made me feel. <laughs> right. Yeah, 100%. It's, yeah, I don't know. Um, I just have, like, one or two other things to say, and then I want to get off, but also I have a grievance to air with you. Okay, um, is it going to be a grievance plus one thing, or is it going to be those two other things? One thing. Well, okay, wait. Really quickly <laughs> to get it out of the way, Elliot Page's fucking Wikipedia says their name. Says his former name. It, like... You can talk about Elliot Page all you want, and if people are curious, they can go to the Wikipedia and see, like, hey, here is his former name from, like, way in the past. Like, I, I don't know why that was an issue. Um, and then, actually, I just wanted to give you some people mm-hmm. for things that you've said, which for a person and, you know, drag me or whatever if this is a bad person, but uh, for trans issues, Jillian Branstetter. Wait a minute. Jillian. Branstetter. Got it. She, yeah, she works for the ACLU and she was on (laughs) an episode of Know Your Enemy, which is Sam Adler-Bell's podcast. Mm. And she's just really fucking awesome. Uh, you mentioned one time about government um, branches and whatever that have been completely gutted, and for that, maybe have Adam Conover? Yeah, Conover explains, right? Adam explains. Uh, Adam explains, but he actually had uh, uh, he had something on Netflix called, I think it's The G Word, where he actually went through and researched exactly that and even ultimately went and I haven't seen it but I Wait, he, what's the G word? It's a Netflix show that he No 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 but like what is the G word? Government. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, and, and yeah, cuz people don't want to talk about it because people don't want that to be the focus of good things happening, I guess, could maybe be, like, the reason for that. Um, Third, if you have any international relations stuff, the guys from American Prestige. Okay. And actually, if you have them on, and this might be a little bit more of a reason to do so, push them about the state of the left and what the left can do. Okay. That's from American Prestige. Yeah, because, and I think that they've like been on Chapo. I don't know. I don't listen to it, but they, yeah, they're, they, they were on something else that I listened to and it was intense. Um, and then the third thing, or the final thing that I'm going to say, and this is the grievance that I'm going to air, is can can you just say in context birthing person you, you want it used in a sentence yeah because i uh, i had never heard it before and i haven't heard it since 
The Dobbs ruling is a disaster for all birthing people in America. So it literally just refers to people with a uterus who are capable of giving birth? Yeah, I've, I've heard birthing capable. That was the subject of the Josh Hawley colloquy. It was the birthing capable was the terminology. But yeah, so uh, not people who are pre-menstrual or post-menopausal or not fertile. I mean, there's plenty of people with uteruses that aren't fertile. Um, and also trans men who still have reproductive capacity. Can I dislike that term a lot? I mean, everybody does. You're join, join, join the crew. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and call on Isaac and get some other callers. But I appreciate you calling in. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Bree. Thank you. All right, let's go to Sylvester. How you doing, Sly? Can you unmute yourself, Sylvester? Sylvester, I don't know if you're having technical problems again, but I'll come back to you in the line. Uh, let's go to Red. How are you doing, Red? Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Ew. Snap. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Red. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, nah, my bad. I'm in my car doing Uber Eats, so I thought my shit was still connected to the car. You're always in your car when you call. Yeah. Last time I think you were going to pick up some food or something. Yeah, I was. Uh, I do Uber Eats because I'm trying to like get like a thousand deliveries so they can pay for my freaking college. I hear that. I hear that. Well, thanks for fitting us in. What's on your mind this evening? I never thought I would ever say this about a bad faith podcast episode, but what the fuck <laughs> did I just listen to? <laughs> I, I look. I can work and listen to a good podcast while I'm out here in these while I'm out here in these streets delivering this food for these people. But this one, I constantly have to like pull the car over and just like wait, wait what? Hold on. I'm, 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 so, I'm sorry, I'm, Red. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming you. Like, shout out to Bye because he said it at the top of this whole call in. You tried. You really tried. But. I, I, and I swear, I don't, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm just going to say the disclaimer right now. I am totally ignorant to a lot of, like, trans issues, so don't come for me if I just, like, slip up. I'm, I am sorry, but... And I'm not really trying to come off, like, that way, but... I always try to, like, sit and listen to, like, trans advocacy, trans representatives... I always try to sit down and listen to them because it's like, okay, I want to get a concrete understanding on what the struggle is. And then I end up like listening to a whole hour or two. And I end up walking away like way more confused than before. Yeah. I mean, elaborate for me, Red. What what aspect of it in particular did you find confusing? I, I, I mean... I mean, I saw the, I saw the thing on Rising, but I didn't see it trending on Twitter. I I feel like honest, and I think early, and I I got the definition earlier. Uh, call in when somebody else asked when they. I didn't even know I didn't know what dead naming was, and I was just like, wait, dead naming. And I don't. I did not get a definition of that through like the episode. It's like I apologize. It's a good point. I I assumed I assumed some knowledge there, and that's me and my own niche. Do you know what it is now? I I kind of do. I kind of get it, and it's just and it's like 
and it's like I like how like maybe Kim will probably say like somebody like oh like Prince or how you've been saying like you know Muhammad Ali and it's like we can't forget like there's there's been plenty of instances in where like public figures have just changed their names and maybe there's been a few hiccups here and there. You know, like you always gonna have the dude like the barber from coming to America that's gonna be like, Mama named him Clay, I'm gonna call him Clay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was thinking about that the whole time. <laughs> but you know, and it's like are we really finna waste our time fighting with these particular individuals or can we come up with like another like more intelligent way? Because I mean, hell, Malcolm X name hell, Malcolm X name was like his last name was technically would be considered like a dead name, but he Every time somebody called it out of here, just intelligently said, yeah, I just personally feel like it was a slave name. I didn't feel like this was the name I was originally given. It was given for the reason why I was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martin Luther, yeah, Martin Luther King's name wasn't even Martin Luther King. He changed his name. It was Michael King at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I got that part, but it's just like, so that was one thing. That was one issue I had because I was just like, I, I really don't know what the hell I'm listening to right now. And it was like, yeah, I, I, I do, I do think. I just wanted to stay on that point for a second. I do think, and again, I'm not telling trans people how to do this. God bless. Choose your battles. But there is a there is a way that like I think it feels with the N word by emphasizing how horrible it is and how hurtful it is to black people. It kind of like it acts as a little bit of a lightning rod for people who want to be intentionally provocative to go and be intentionally provocative. And sometimes I feel like that's what's happening with the dead naming stuff. Like the attitude of, yeah, please don't use it. You know, <laughs> it's disrespectful. You know, is one thing like sometimes I feel like the attention to it like if you if you you know if i see it in print i'm gonna you know turn into the wicked witch of the west if, if like if water's thrown on me makes transphobes like attract like fight like flies to honey to say oh i'm 100 percent gonna do this i'm 100 percent gonna do this and there's like a there's a way that being kind of blithe about it can deflect the attack now, if it is sincerely just so horrible to you to hear, like, it, and I don't, I believe it is sincerely horrible for people to hear, then there's nothing to do about that. Like, you just got to say your truth and, like, try to get people not to say it. But there is a way that I feel like the focus on this is, like, attracting the worst actors to the, to, the, to the playing field in a way that they might not come if it was just like, yeah, this is good practice, but I'm not going to melt if you say it. Like, I'm going to think you're an asshole and not want to be around you and think you're you know a bigot but like say what you want to say like when people say why can't i say the n-word to me i say say it go ahead say it go, go ahead and say it say it i really don't care yeah I really don't, I, and i mean i may get some backlash for this but like if i have to be honest my own person i personally don't care if people say the n-word i feel like white people out here doing way worse shit than <laughs> their name calling but I, and i would never tell a trans person like no you can't feel that like no you can't feel that way about it because i do know that that fight that that fight that we did have with that word, uh, shit. Like I remember, uh, like on the Boondocks, where the granddad said, "When I was back in my day, when I was called a nigga, all you can do is go around the corner and cry." Mm-hmm. Now you young folks today, y'all can whoop a motherfucker's ass, and you'll be celebrated. <laughs> but like, it is like, and then that actually, and it's actually kind of good because that segues into like my next point, and it's like mm-hmm. I never thought I would have to turn my. I would never thought I'd have to put my teacher hat back on. And I always said the hardest classroom I ever have to work in is the classroom of the world because it's just like, man, I really feel like we just got to educate a lot of people. I I was really, really struggling to like understand like a lot of Esperanza's point because it was like, it definitely was like a lot of pivots from like maybe the core conversation because 
the episode is called, if I remember right, it was something with free speech. Uh, who does who does free speech? Wait, what? Well, I don't even know what I call my own day members. Who suffers for free speech? Who suffers for free speech, and like the calling episode today is for trans bands, and it's just I felt like we kept deterring off from like the whole free speech conversation. Like, first of all, I totally agree with you. We should not let the right own free speech, especially like. With, e- with everything where we've always been kind of like the voiceless or like the voice of the crazies or the vo- voice of the uncouths or whatever, we can't let them steal that from us. So just because you are for free speech, it doesn't mean you're a right winger. I stand on that too. Mm-hmm. But to put my teacher hat on, it's just like people, I'm pretty sure English class, when our teachers are teaching us how to form a paragraph, main idea Supporting details. It works the same. It works the same way with conversations. It works the same way with debates. It 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 is is a pretty straightforward thing on how to do that there. And I get it. She was trying to say because every time we asked about the free, she would say, "Well, I don't really care about that. I'm trying to talk about the bigger issues that trans people face, like housing and work discrimination." And I was like. This isn't the I, I get that and I and I would like to talk about I would like to hear about that too. But I don't think this is what that episode was about. So yeah. And so it kinda yeah. so kind of, just like how you feel like you was like, I'm I'm trying to say I was Brenda, but I found myself on the side of camp and he was like, I found myself on the side of camp. I was like, I don't know if there's any other way to digest the conversations that was going on other than to be neutral and be like yeah, I personally feel like you should have went for two hours. Just, I, just. I, 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 and I look. I would have, other than that, I was coming down hard with my sickness that day. I thought I recorded two episodes on Friday, and I really thought I was going to die by the end of the one with Esperanza and Kim. So part of it was like, I don't think I can even hold on for any longer than this. But oh, I, <laughs> well, and I think I, I ran myself ragged on the vacation. I took a COVID test; it was negative. I'm going to take another one tonight. Um, but I'm already like fully on the rebound, and I. I look so in Esperanza's defense, Esperanza felt like she didn't understand that this was the topic of the episode. Now, in my defense, you know, I'm I, I this is what I, I wrote when I reached out to her. I said, so many of my listeners have recommended that I talk to in bad faith. I'd love to connect if you're interested. I've been reluctant to reach out to trans creators to ask them to talk about whatever hateful shit has come down the pike. But also it feels irresponsible to keep engaging with these subjects without more trans leftists in the room. I know this is a lot, but I told Kim Iverson I'd impact that conversation with her and my friend Ole on Rising last week. And I'd love to get her in conversation with you. I know that's a lot to ask. Feel free to say no, but I think it'll be a useful conversation. Okay. So I think that's pretty clear about what the top of the episode is going to be. But I understand that people don't always read DMs very closely. And I think she's acting in good faith when she says she didn't realize that was going to be the focus of the conversation. I get that. However, it was. And I do think that you hurt your own argument when clearly that's the thrust of what's happening and you deflect. I mean, I understand. I understand the technique of trying, like, say, on a door knocking visit to get people on the topics that are motivating to them and we'll get them to the polls or whatever but in a podcast <laughs> you're there to talk about a subject right and i mean i felt like and i mean it's that's why i mean like i'm not trying to be like one of those people like how kim said like you know 
you know, we're gonna keep talking about these things. And if we keep running around in circles, then we're gonna probably lose people because we're just gonna all continue to just talk, talk over each other, talk past each other, talk around each other, and we leave this conversation with nothing. And it's and it's not even just that. It there's a there's a Breakfast Club interview with uh Malik Yoba on YouTube, and it's like one of the most dislike YouTube videos around. Like, trust me, if you guys type it in. Who Malik Yoba? Yeah, Malik Yoba. He was on a Breakfast Club with a few trans, I think a few trans activists. I think there was two trans women, and then there was uh one LGBTQ. He was a gay man activist, and they were on there talking, and it was just like the talking points were just all over the place, and it was just like, all right, I'm I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna listen to this because it's just, and I feel like sometimes when I'm talking with them, I can. When I, when I talk, because I've worked with a long trans people, I actually used to work at a daycare center where we uh, had, like, pride. We had, like, pride celebrations and whatever. And I've worked alongside trans teachers. When I t- talk to them individually, sometimes I can digest some of the things. But they will always tell me, but don't take my word for it for a grain of salt because other people may feel different. So I guess, the con- I guess like, the concentrated... I guess like the concentrated conversation of what are your of what are the struggles that we need to that we need to like have in order to under, in order to fully understand what you're fighting for and how we can aid an ally in that is definitely just misrepresented but I will say like on one end for this podcast I feel like censorship I feel like any censorship is the enemy to all activists Mm. we should not be like we shouldn't be like advocating well don't just say well you shouldn't be allowed to say it on twitter and twitter should take the spot no because the moment they can start censoring shit is the moment shit's gonna start getting really hard to understand out here in the world i mean the media can very we know the media can play all kinds of tricks they can make heroes look like villains and villains look like heroes hell I was talking to some friends not too long ago, not to get off topic, about the Uvalde shooting. Mm-hmm. And we was all talking about it. And we was all mad, like, yeah, yeah, fuck the police and this, this. And I was just sitting there, all of them was just getting riled up. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm shitting you not. I pulled out $50, and I'm like, I got $50 here for anybody that can name the shooter. Everybody's like, uh, we totally forgot about the damn shooter because everybody's too busy and mad at the police. Salvador like, Ramos. <laughs> but I get your point. When I see you, I will give you $50. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, damn, we really totally, the media totally just like flipped this narrative. So it's just like, no, no, I'm, I'm totally not for censorship. Trust me, people are just going to say ignorant shit. It's on us to take it and digest it and deal with how we see foot. And I guess the last key that I can give, and I feel like I'm not sure if it was you that was bringing that point up during the show, was that, okay, because uh, I think it was about when she was asking Kim, you know, have you ever organized and whatever, and you was bringing it on to the point where, like, while organizing is important, it is very time-consuming and it takes a lot, that communication is key. I do, I do feel like maybe better rep maybe we still in search for that right voice that can like have the conversation and not so defensive and not get so defensive on even the slightest pushback because i feel because i feel you weren't even really i feel you weren't really pushing back i feel like you were really still trying to steer the conversation 
to stay like within a certain topic. So it did kind of like slip out. So communication, yeah, like how you brought up, would be is it is key. No, uh, no yeah, no I was, yeah, communication. Thank you, Red. Look, I, I was trying to be, I was trying to be kind of neutral. It was interesting. I, I saw with the way I saw this going, I thought it was going to be easier to. I thought there was going to be more opportunity, more space to kind of push back at Kim and some of the other things that she said during the segment, right? Right. That I have more of a pointed issue with than the speech debate. But it was almost frustrating to me because I felt like we couldn't, we couldn't get off the speech thing until I felt like I could get Esperanza to really engage the point. And then we spent so much time me just trying to, and get her to engage on that particular point. Yeah. And then like, there was so much time ago by that. I said, screw it. Let's just pivot to the Josh Howley thing. But there was plenty there to be more oppositional and crit- critical of Kim on for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's the irony. Sometimes I think of the battles we pick. I think that if you like, I I've realized part of it is being on rising and part of it is being in other mixed ideological spaces. Sometimes you can gain so much ground by just making what is ultimately a tiny rhetorical concession. Like when I was arguing with Andrew Sullivan, it's like, it's not worth me arguing that like things haven't gotten better for black people since 1960. I I can argue it. I can make a sociological case for how they they're exactly the same and black kids still go to mostly segregated schools and the average black income per GDP is actually worse than it was in 1975 or whatever. I'm sure there's stats I could use to bolster my point, but honestly, 99% of people just understand intuitively that things for black people are better than when you could just get like, you were literally forced to go to a segregated school and literally forced to eat in different restaurants and go to different drinking fountains. And it seems ridiculous to argue otherwise. So I'm going to concede that point. And now that I've conceded that point, we can get into a much more interesting conversation, a much more substantive conversation, and one that I can win without making me seem like a freak who won't acknowledge any progress in the world. You know? And sometimes I just think that, like, sometimes counterintuitively, you know, like, I don't, and again, I'm not telling anybody what's the priority. Like, trans people, I'm sorry, like, I don't, I know this, it's not me telling you what battles to pick. But as a moderator of that conversation, I found myself thinking, I hope. I just wish that we could just agree on this stupid point so we could just move on (laughs) or at least engage or just say like, I hear you, but I'm disagreeing. But the part I was stuck on was the idea that if you care about the speech part, you are definitionally transphobic. Right. I don't even feel like, I don't really feel like anybody could even walk away from a agree to disagree part because both sides, both sides were making such points that it's just like, it don't even it don't even remotely feel it don't even remotely feel right. Both sides were right, but then both sides were wrong on so much. And it was just like one of the it was just like one of the weirdest experiences. <laughs> I had listening to a podcast and I mean I've listened and I've listened to some bad faith. There's some shit that went completely left. And I was like, Whoa Well you should go listen to my Norm Finkelstein interview if you want to have a good time. That was a three hour interview. We don't cut like substance out. We like we never like cut like things were actually said except that interview was a three hour interview <laughs> that we cut down to an hour. Cause we just went round and round. And round. I needed that today. <laughs> I needed that today. 
<laughs> but I love Norman. We did a great interview here on um, Colin a couple of months ago that people should definitely check out. It was also three hours, but three hours in a productive, constructive way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not to come on here and talk. I'm not. I'm, and I'm totally not. And I totally don't want to disrespect the platform. I'm not disrespecting Bad Faith. I still very much so listen. Like I said, just pay for this Patreon, so I'm getting my money's worth. <laughs> I still listen, and I'm even going back and listening to some stuff. But if to no fault of your own, it was just kind of like, yeah. The only thing that I feel like I'm, and I don't want to tell the trans people, I don't want to tell the trans movement like anything else. I don't want to tell them anything about their fight neither. But I will say that censorship is your enemy, and communication. It, it probably it, it probably needs a little it probably needs a little work on and we probably just need to still search for that right voice that's gonna be able to do that because old girl from berkeley could get riled up and i mean it's not even getting riled up it's the matter of the moment somebody just give you like even the slightest pushback or just the easiest trap let's yeah. not get into our feelings about it how many times was malcolm x called malcolm little on tv right and he just pretty much just Check it off. You know, it's my slave name. I don't address by that. He didn't like snap off and be like, don't call me little no more, goddammit. <laughs> <Or something like, laughs> and it's just like, and to be fair to us as listeners, we still we have to give, we have to give like these rep these activists and these rep and the representations of these movements the freedom to have to adjust like maybe a new question. Yeah, or it's new hard. I don't want to ever for a second say like that the work isn't hard. The position that Berkeley professor was in was a tough one. And people like Esperanza who put themselves out there and are like fighting these fights and organizing on the field and stuff. Like I have so much admiration for them and I have so much respect for her for being willing to come on the podcast with Kim Iverson who had, you know, just gotten in some hot water for saying some things that a lot of people disagree with. You know, and being a very opinionated public figure at that, at that, and be willing to like share space with her like that, I think, was something a lot of other people wouldn't have done. So, truly, all the kudos in the world to Esperanza. Right, and I mean, with anything that Esperanza says, if she truly felt it, if she truly meant it, then that's that is totally fine. I can at least hear, I can at least hear those things and respect it, but don't. But it's like when the moment comes, at any moment, you have to just you just have to take it. It's just like if the conversation isn't about if the topic of the conversation isn't about what you want, then you have to be savvy enough to talk the conversation, but bring in the talking point to but like slide in the talking points that you want to do. All the best of them has done it. And even if you feel some way today, and you feel differently tomorrow. Hey, Malcolm X was calling white people all types of devils and stuff when he was. <laughs> under NOI and then the moment he went to a whole other side of the country and talked to other people he came back and was like okay yeah um maybe I kind of got that one wrong <laughs> that's, that's what, a good that's example what I mean by, that's what I mean by like where we as listeners we want to give the defense because I'm saying that to only say that I would love to have I would love I would still listen to another episode of Esperanza it wouldn't turn me off to anything that she or any trans activist would have to say because I'm not trying to silence anybody's voice I would really love just the concrete facts on the conversation and the struggle and yeah i know we'll have her back a hundred percent you know she we talked a little bit about it after we wrapped and 
I completely appreciate the frustration with only, you know, coming on to talk about stuff like this. I mean, in fact, part of why some people are like, why aren't you having trans people on these episodes? I feel very uncomfortable. Like I said, in the note I wrote to Esperanza, I feel very uncomfortable just asking trans people to come on just to talk about whatever dumb trans shit has come down the transom, you know, (laughs) no pun intended, you know, like I, 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 you know, like I, and then we've had, obviously, like, Evan Greer has come on to talk about tech, and, you know, we didn't have um, ContraPoints on to talk about trans stuff, and obviously, like, Chelsea Manning came on to talk about Chelsea Manning things and not trans things, but, like, it is, it also is the case that there's, a, you know, a, a desire to need to have representative voices in the room. I'm, like, scrambling to see if they can get, like, a trans guest on some of these rising segments and all of this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's a difficult balancing act. And I do want to say again that I'm just so appreciative of Esperanza. But, Red, you're giving me a little, you're giving me a little feedback, so I'm going to move on. But I always love hearing from you. Uh, and thank you for calling in. All right, love, too, because I'll keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right, I saw Eric Smith in the chat saying he wanted to defend Esperanza, and I want that as well. So say your truth, Eric. Eric, can you unmute yourself? Are you with us, Eric, from the chat? Yes. There you go. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. I did want to just defend for a second. Honestly, uh, it makes me feel so strange because – with uh, Kim, it's like a reverse Donald Trump feeling where with Donald Trump, it was always, I disagree with you so hard, but like, I feel almost the need to defend because people are coming at you for like the wrong reasons. Right. Mm. And with Kim, it's like, most of the time I would agree with you, but dear God, like, this is not, <laughs> this is not how I would go about things. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a, a distinction or at least a disconnect between what the guests thought, obviously the we're going to talk about and what you wanted them to talk about. Right. And so um, I would just say generally, I think when you described what it was that you sent to them there, <laughs> there was a lot of like tiptoeing around the, the, her feelings of, and recognizing about how difficult it would be to come on and talk about something like this. But I, I don't think it was very direct about like, we're going to stick to free speech. Absolute. Well, no, we didn't have to, and, we didn't, no, no, no. The topic was not that we were going to stick to free speech absolutism. We were talking about the entire rising segment. And we ended right. up stuck on free speech absolutism in part because that was what Kim brought up first. And that's what the conversation was. But I think also in part because, you know, Esperanza hadn't listened to the rest of the segment. So it's not like she could volunteer to move it to something else about what was in the segment. Well, what you know was what I mean? strange was that so frequently you you are so good at being able to reframe things um, and I think it's with things like you talked about being more comfortable with talking about race, about reframing things in the inclusive language of the working class. And yet when Esperanza attempted to do that, there was so much pushback um, really preventing her from from doing that, that it seemed like from a viewer's perspective I, I or the listener's perspective, that it was almost like almost coming off as like combative is like, no, I have to get you to agree on this thing about free speech. No, she didn't have to agree, but she did have to talk about the episode of rising that we were there to talk about. And as much as it's wonderful to talk about a lot of things, the environment, 
why we have troops on the ground in Somalia, the, the, what, the leftist victory in Colombia, all the things we talk about every week on this podcast. The subject of today's podcast was not how to build working class movements or what she is doing, organizing, door knocking, or the broader concerns of the trans community, the conversation about youth transitioning and at what time it should happen. There were a million right. interesting subjects in the world. None of them were the subject of today's episode. The subject of today's episode was the, 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 Bruhaha over last week's rising episode with Olayami, Robbie, and Kim. Right. Those were the and parameters. So I, I think she, she, you know, you asked very several times pointedly about what their opinion was on that. And she answered very specifically that she just doesn't think it's a big deal. Like she doesn't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. Right. That's um, not an answer. If you ask me what my favorite color is and I say, mm, I don't think that's that important. I don't feel like talking about it. That's not an answer. Um, I mean, it, it is an answer. It's an answer that you don't like, but it well, is an no, answer. No, no, no. Wait a minute, Eric. I, I'm sorry. As, as a podcast host, I got to say this. I got to say this. This has nothing to do with Esperanza or anything. As a podcast host, I'll tell you, I don't care if I agree with the guest. I don't care about, but I'll tell you what I do care about. I care about boring episodes and there is nothing more boring than someone agreeing to come to talk about a subject and then being like, I'm not that interested in that subject anyway. Moreover, I got to say, it's kind of disrespectful. It's disrespectful to me. It's disrespectful to the other, ho the other guests who've done their homework. It's disrespectful to the audience and their time. I love Dr. Thrasher, but when he said on that Dave Chappelle episode, I didn't even listen to the episode. I was like, well, fuck me. You were here, Dr. Thrasher, to defend the trans LGBT view. You're an LGBT journalism professor specializing in LGBT issues at New York University. I brought you here to defend why everyone's, you know, should cancel Dave Chappelle. That was your lane. And now you went and didn't even listen to the episode. And it's like, I, don't, I can't do anything more than that. I tried to help you. I teed it up for you. And you chose to undermine your own credibility by not even listening to the episode. And I adore him. And he's coming back on the podcast and we all make mistakes. When Ole came on the podcast for the first time to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse, she got some facts wrong about the thing and that undermined her credibility. Right. And it was difficult because I love her and I wanted, you know, I think that substantively she was right about a lot of the arguments that she was making. But you lose your credibility when you haven't done some basic fact stuff sometimes. And that's happened to me, too. I've gotten big things wrong. It happens. But like you, you don't get to. I'm sorry. Like, this is my show and your private <laughs> I mean, in your I mean, private personal life. You don't have to offer any opinions to anybody. But if you agree to go on somebody's show, you can't then just cross your arms and say, I don't want to answer that. This isn't a deposition. I, you don't get to plead the fifth. <laughs> this is about this is an entertaining show for people to listen to. You got to answer the question or just don't agree to come on the show. For sure. And I think that, they, that she, she answered the question. It wasn't, it wasn't in a way that she, she disagreed, right? She said that she thought it was transphobic. She said she thought the language was, she does not agree about the concept that tech platforms should uh, just let people say whatever they want. She she encourages more limited speech, right? She, she It wasn't that she just refused to engage. She had those points. She did talk about them. Um, and I think, you know, she was not the one that was asking to come on the show either, right? You sought out a trans person to get their take on this um, and then specifically wanted to talk about a very narrow subject, Um 
And no, yeah, I sought a trans person out to get their opinion on this particular subject. Not a very narrow subject, the subject that we agreed to talk about on the show. And which, by the way, like, I, I chose her apart because she had tweeted, like, there was some, she had, like, engaged in some of the commentary about the stuff, about, about the, about the discourse. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I like that context. She, I mean, she, and, and she had opinions on it. Like, she was aware of it. She made reference to the fact that she was aware of it and had, had, had opinions on it. But, you know, and again, I, I don't mean this as a criticism, but hadn't actually watched it. Which again was interesting because look, I well, completely agree with to her. Criticize something that you haven't watched. Exactly, and I <laughs> and I I agree with her critique of Kim that it seems irresponsible for Kim to be opining on trans issues when she doesn't even know what turf means. I completely agree with that criticism, yes. but I can't help but also think that it seems a little ironic to w- offer criticisms about a rising segment when you haven't watched it. Or this Josh Howley stuff, when she hadn't listened to it, I did ultimately obviously just play it for her. And in retrospect, right. I should have just played the whole, yes. made everybody sit there and watch the whole right. Rising clip. You know, lessons learned. I couldn't make everyone sit there and watch the whole Dave Chappelle special. Even though, to be clear, <laughs> I watched it twice and took notes. I, I spent two hours of my life watching it back to back. And I don't even care for Dave Chappelle like that <laughs> in preparation for the show. And so did T, which is why it's so frustrating when other people don't come to do their homework you know who i love to talk to on podcast katie halper because katie halper will do her homework if you ask her to come on a show and talk about a subject she will read six articles on it yeah but also brianna this that's her job right like she hosts and is in media 24 7 this is someone who is like a trans activist they're not like it is her it is her job (laughs) she's a trans activist it is literally her job i didn't just pull some random trans person off the street moreover the job was just to listen to a 16-minute segment, a 16-minute YouTube clip. I listen at double speed, so that's eight minutes of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I sympathize. And honestly, it does undermine what something that I thought that she brought up that I couldn't agree with more, which is that people speak on these – and people speak on these topics in the media because they need something to talk about all the time. And they're not necessarily in any way qualified to talk about any of it. Right. So, and it does undermine it when you yourself don't come a hundred percent prepared to like attack what is the topic at hand. Um, But I do think that was her way of (laughs) when she says something like, have you done any activism work? Right. Or have you led any activism work? It is, she's, being criticized for how she operates in this space as a trans activist Mm -hmm. by someone who is neither an activist uh, leading the ground on anything meaningful, right? Or someone who is a trans person, right? So this is someone completely outside on on both respects. So who's the audience? Who's, Who's the audience? Is the audience for trans activism other organizers and or other trans people? exclusively uh no so this was I mean, this was my so. this was my issue with that you know and not really all due respect but my issue with that is that the the target audience whether you like it or not is going to be filled with people like kim who are neither activists nor trans people most human beings are neither activists nor trans people right. for better or for worse <laughs> and 
the idea that like to have an opinion, this is the kind of essentialism that the left is so critical of. You can't weigh in because you're not black. You can't weigh in because you're not a woman. Da, 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 da. Now, I definitely think it's obviously true that having an experience as a certain kind of person and being from a certain place, all those kinds of things informs you. And I would much right. rather hear what a person from Indiana has to say about restaurants in Indiana than someone who's never been to Indiana. That's obviously true. Okay. But I, I do think when we're talking about who, how a message is being received, the question isn't whether the person saying the message is, likes it or the community that already agrees with the message likes it. The really question is, frankly, how does Kim receive it? And I think the argument is, not literally Kim, but the Kims of the world. Yeah, yeah. And I would argue that Kim is a great deal more sympathetic than a hell of a lot of people out here in the United States of America. And right. the question I wanted Esperanza to kind of contend with is, if the Kims of the world are feeling some level of dissonance with this, is, yes. that, is that to you a commentary on how effective the messaging is? And Esperanza's response was, she doesn't care what Kim thinks. Right. And that's her opinion. God bless. Yes. That's her opinion. I, <laughs> yes. And she's allowed to have that opinion. My opinion is that's short-sighted and kind well, of dangerous. I, but I, hey, I'm not an organizer, so I'm not going to say it's not my business. That's my I'm observation, however. I'm, I'm very sympathetic um, because I found myself in, in that same position where I would want to be very involved, but feel like there's too much there, right? To to jump into that, and I don't want to have to be policing myself in a way that is, you know, I'd rather just stay back and you know whatever, let other mm. people handle it. And so I feel very much like isolated from certain causes because of that. Um, and I also feel like the way to bridge that gap so often is something that you do very very well, which is the inclusivity of the labor movement making sure that everyone understands that yes, while there are many differences, right. We can, we can work together under this banner to really improve our lives in a lot of ways. And, and that's why personally it was, it was difficult to hear the pushback when someone wanted to go in that direction and that wasn't allowed really. Because well, Eric, what, what did like you want? Was... What did you want me to do? Say like, you know what? That's a great point. Let's scrap this conversation. Kim, you can actually <laughs> just hang up now because we're just well, going to talk about whatever labor issue this guest is occupied with right now in her life. I, I mean, I don't I don't I, I, I've been thinking about this. I don't I don't want to seem rude. And <laughs> I know that's a terrible way to start, but <laughs> I, it seems like it, se it really came across and I could be off base here a lot. It came across like this was an attempt because Kim was getting a lot of backlash online to be able to rehabilitate her image by bringing on a trans woman and say like, yes, Kim, what you were saying was right about the about the limited free speech stuff. And, you know, we may have disagreements in other areas, but, you know, the thing that you were here, talking here, about here's really the was irony. that. And, Here's the irony. The irony is I think there was plenty of stuff to legitimately criticize about Kim in that clip, but everyone was focused on the dumbest thing, in my opinion, to criticize her on. And therefore <laughs> I mean, I she was, she was provoking defense that I think was accurate because I think that she was being characterized unfairly, frankly, on the internet, despite there being legitimate concerns with her and Robbie's approach. My critique of Kim, if we had had space for that in the conversation would have been, Kim, it seems like there's an 
an un an un an, an unmotivated like a kind of ridiculous like unsubstantiated focus on trans issues on rising and the selection of the topics that come up and a focus on them and why do you constantly focus on issues like i would be much more able to accept your critique of twitter and the banning and the free speech issue with respect to trans people if you did more coverage of the violence that befalls trans people on a regular basis or all these anti-trans bills that are coming down the pike you know if this is such a free speech issue why aren't you more concerned about these you know sex education stuff being wiped from school curricula and all those other kinds of things i i 100 percent agree with you and this is why i said earlier with kim it's like honestly like 99 percent of the time maybe like i would agree and then it's like the way that she it's like i'm i'm almost there with her and then she says the thing about like uh like i'm not afraid of trans people it's like oh my god like i can't no i know i know and that was why i'm like i don't even know what to say like (laughs) i don't even just i I completely get what you're saying about the reverse donald trump thing i was sitting i like it was it was insane to be a part of I, I gotta say, it was, I shouldn't say insane, but it was disorienting to yeah. be a part of because I really came out of there feeling like I cannot confidently side with anybody here because the, the, the vibes of Kim's approach I did right. not side with, but the argument I agreed with more and the, the vibes of Esperanza I agreed with, but the argument, like I was, well, it wasn't that I disagreed with her. I just felt like she wasn't engaging as much as I would have liked. No, I think so, what happened is she probably got defensive and like, I, at least that's how I would, <laughs> if, if I try to put myself in her position, I would probably feel defensive, especially with remarks like that, because you don't necessarily, I mean, but that's the gig. Really do a lot of homework. That's so the gig. Know what kind of environment she was going into. Maybe, Look, no, so. you guys, you guys suggested like dozens of trans folks for me when I asked on YouTube, like who are your favorite trans leftists on, on Twitter? I would have gone through the list. If, if Esperanza had just said, no, I don't want to engage with Kim. I don't want to validate Kim. Like, I don't think this is a good right. use of my time. Have me back when you want to talk about organizing. I'd be like, great. And I would have kept going down the list until, and, you know, I kind of felt like if you're willing to get in the room with Kim, you are a kind of person who was kind of like ready for this. Like this, there's no like cloak and dagger here about what this is. Like, you know, I referenced the episode that I had done, I think in this chat, maybe it was with somebody else, but that I did with, um, Ethan Robinson and Glenn Greenwald and said like, you know, this is the kind of moderation you can expect. And this is what I hope to be able to cut. Like, this is what it is. It's Kim Iverson in conversation with you. Like that's what it is. I I, I get it. And and it's not like she's to your point, like she's not a secret, right? She's got a lot of material. You could go and see what kind of her vibes are. Um, But I, I, I think the point of view from Esperanza would be that she's a very busy person and does not have the time to go through Ken's material to see like what counterpoint she should bring Six, up. Or 16 whatnot. minute video. <laughs> and also I look, I say no to stuff all the time because I know that I cannot be adequately prepared. I said no to Charlie Kirk a bunch of times before I finally capitulated in part because I knew it re- would require a level of focus for me that I didn't have during that month. And in yeah. fact, I felt not as prepared as I would have, would have liked to be. And sometimes you have to know your limits and take yourself out of the game. I have been invited to do any number of things. I was recently invited to go back on Kelly. What's your face's show? Um, Kelly, 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 Megan Kelly's show, Megan Kelly's show. Sorry, brain fart. Um, you know, 
to, there was a panel with Barry Weiss that I declined to go on because it was on a subject matter that I was, I would have had to study up on and I wasn't prepared to say the left loses this debate because Brianna Joy Gray just happened not to have an hour to read the Wikipedia link about a thing. You know, I, and sometimes you just got to take yourself out of the game. And that's legitimate. We all, again, make mistakes. We all sometimes, and I'm not saying it was a mistake for Esperanza degree to come on or anything. I'm not saying that at all. I really appreciate it. I think I still got something out of the conversation regardless. But, you know, this, this is the game. Like, this, not the game, but like this, this is the job. <laughs> well, you know? and, and that's what it, it does come off. Like, this kind of episode does kind of feel like a game, right? Like, is talking about like the backlash that someone gets on Twitter about like saying things that might be considered transphobic. Like, is that like, it's not talking about the backlash, Eric. It's talking about whether there's a, there is a character to a certain kind of trans activism that is, that is alienating in a way that is harmful to the movement. That's what the conversation is about. It's about whether or not you're picking battles about, against free speech and stuff in a way that's teeing up trans rights against free speech in a way that is counterintuitive to the movement. And again, you can disagree with all of these premises that I'm throwing out there, but those are premises that I think are important to engage with. Your answer can be, no, I think it's fine. No, I think free speech is stupid. No, I think, and that's fine. I think you have gotten in this like sort of season of, of bad faith is so engrossed in meta conversations around uh, like approach that it's sort of like, become its own theme instead of the message which is sort of you know like keeping on of like the message of the working class uh, instead of okay like, okay eric doing, uh like, okay eric specific, right the, the way, last like, episode to... eric the last episode i had a green party candidate on who's been struck for a ballot and i had jill stein on no, the I podcast before that wait a minute wait a minute the podcast before that, I had a, a leftist Marxist ec- economist talking about the truth behind inflation. The one before that was an abortion episode with Olayami and Kate Willett talking about the outcome of Dobbs. The episode before that was a housing episode with three housing activists from all over the world. The episode before that was an episode with Ben Norton and Ajamu Baraka about the, the leftist victory in Colombia. The episode before that was with Richard Wolf talking, another Marxist economist talking about inflation. The episode before that was flimsy. It was... Katie, Katie Halper talking about the bimbos of TikTok. But I just named you eight episodes, eight episodes, substance, 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 one flippant one with Katie Halper. And then we're right back into it. An interview with Ro Khanna, an interview with another left economist, and and then an interview with another left candidate, an interview. Like, I don't know what I can do for you people. If I talk about (laughs) boring shit eight weeks in a row that no one clicks on and no one listens to, and I talk for one second, about anything to do with comms, cultural huh. issues, anything yeah. fun. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Eric. I'm going to get something off my chest. Then it's all it's of these so comments. Fun. How can you be wasting your time doing this? Is this really what the movement <laughs> is about? Why don't you want to focus on, on, on working people? Like, honestly, leave me alone. Because you guys, you, I don't listen to you anymore. Let me tell you, I don't listen to you anymore. I don't read your comments. I don't check the inbox because it's a bunch of people kvetching about stuff in bad faith. Now, I do. Honest, is that no, the right way no. to have the conversation? Yes, Eric, about? it is. I have to listen. I have to block you all out for my mental health. I spend time trying to become an, an expert on what's going on in Tigray. I, I, I find a, an expert to come on and talk to you about Somalia, which nobody cares about or can point to on a map. And I do this because I think it's important. And I, it's a thankless job. People like Max Alvarez, who you should all go and subscribe to his podcast, by the way. 
Max Alvarez out there every single day interviewing working people for Working People's Pod. And guess how many people listen to it? He just was on, 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 on Twitter trying to get people to subscribe so that he can get to earning $1,000 a month on his Patreon so he can help put that back toward covering working class issues. And people should go and they should help him do it. But there's a reason people don't people, – people like to complain about content being frivolous and then not support the, con- the content that's substantive. So I try to mix the tiniest bit of fat into the Sakuma Wiki, into the greens. Sorry, that's the Kenyan word for collard greens. <laughs> I, I try to get a, put a little bit of pork fat in there to make it taste good. And it's just, well, I can't believe that you're focusing on this. This isn't the real issue. Like, give me a break, Eric. <laughs> Come on. I am sorry that the reply guys are overwhelming. I don't comment on things, so I don't see that. But I sympathize that, and I do acknowledge that you are one of the best out there, right? This is why I engage with your material. This is why I like material so much i would say that it is i wouldn't say it's a thankless job you've had an army of people on talking about how great you are tonight and they pay for your content i feel like there you have a lot of supporters max definitely deserves more he's amazing but with all those people that you did talk about i was not saying and if it if i did say that it was not my intent that you don't talk about labor issues but rather that in these conversations, there is a lot of air that's being sort of taken up by methodology discussion on like how to approach people who are, you know, perhaps non, not yeah. being reached by. Yeah, because other- I got to say, Eric, that is interesting to me and I would like right. to like my job. So occasionally I do episodes that are interesting to me as a journalist that cover the subject I've been covering since I became a journalist and that are comms related because that I am literally in comms now. That is what I do. I do comms. And if you would like me to put a disclaimer on episodes, like a trigger warning that says, this is a comms episode, steer clear. We're going to talk about how to communicate with people that I can start to do that. But Eric, my God, no. No, <laughs> like no, no. this and is I, also substantive. This stuff matters I to me. I feel like you have a lot of anger towards a lot of people who have said a lot of things that I am not saying to you right now. Like I am not saying that you are doing a bad job or that you, your content isn't great or that you are doing something wrong. I'm exclusively commenting on this episode and I was commenting broadly before, but about why I thought that it was a shame that this guest didn't get to talk about the labor integration of trans rights and that sort of intersection there, as opposed to like the, what I probably, I just think it's probably like a, a much more boring topic of like, you know, the, the way that trans rights are being messaged to people like, like Kim, it's just like, you know, that's, that was the one thing I'm saying. I'm not talking about like, okay, again, it's not people. It's not like people like Kim. It's like Kim is everyone. In fact, America would objectively be, and a much better place politically if everyone were like Kim. You wish the country was as left as Kim. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if you can't, I, I'm not going to keep repeating myself. I appreciate what you're saying, Eric. I appreciate what you're saying. I'm going to try to get through a bunch more callers before I have to wrap at, at 11 because I still got to do a twist out and wake up at dawn to get to this godforsaken show. Oh, but I appreciate boy. you calling in, Eric. Good luck. Thank you, Bree. I appreciate your time. All right. Keep the faith, Eric.
Ethan, you're up next. I'm sorry, the front of the queue has been neglected. How are you doing, Ethan? Hey, Bree. How are you? I'm doing well. What's on your mind tonight? Um, so I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff. I feel like I do need to precursor this with the the first time, long time uh, caveats on that. Um, I've been listening for like since the podcast started. Um, I think I've listened to every episode. So I want to take some of this criticism um, with the good faith that it's coming from. Um, so um, some of the things that I, I, I was a little bit frustrated with this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it or not some of it, the framing that the kind of whole conversation took place in felt like we were ceding ground to kind of right-wing perspectives on this. Um, there was, it. I I think that the, um, I'm trying to formulate it, sorry, a little bit nervous, but um, the, it felt frustrating to um, engage in this kind of like transphobia is acceptable um, or I guess that one thing to, to note about the dead naming is that it felt like the dead naming was just kind of very or wasn't well defined, which I know that you um, said before was something that probably would have been good. Um, but it felt like it was just referring to people um, to trans people by their their dead name when I think that there's more substance to that with the criticism or with the the critique that happened. Like Jordan Peterson didn't get clapped off Twitter because he just referred to Elliot Page's dead name. He got banned because he insisted on doing it in a way that like I is harassment and then referred to the doctor as like a criminal. Um, yeah. and so I think that like that is important. And so by not defining that and not um, I think pushing back on the fact that like that's kind of sucks. And like, I want to know why Kim like defends that so hard. Like, yeah, I, I agree. But here's what was so funny about it. Because, okay, that, because um, Esperanza, I'm not, not putting it on her, but because Esperanza didn't bring that into the conversation and also accepted the premise and still defended, like, defended it, right? Like, so that, that was, that you're completely right that Jordan Peterson did a lot more than just dead name Elliot Page. But even given the premise that all he did was dead name Elliot Page, and that people should be banned for dead naming, even outside of Jordan Peterson. Esperanza still thinks, you know, still argued that that was a good and acceptable thing, which almost made it at even lower stakes. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it almost, it almost makes like the, the bar was even lower and she's, I mean, the bar was even higher and she still that thought that what Twitter was doing was fine. Yeah, and I think that I think that that's where where I would have liked to see kind of some pushback on Kim, um, where I think that it is important to say to like set this frame. Of course, like uh, I'm not trans, and so a lot of this is important. But like I think that from a from a comms perspective, but we're talking to normal people who aren't super well versed with this thing. I think that it's pretty reasonable to say that like the expectation is that you not understand this completely. There's going to be people who don't know that um, Elliot Page had transitioned and refer to them as their old name um, and or their dead name, and that isn't like an awful thing it like you have to come into it with like a good faith perspective the thing where i think that it gets weird is whenever like people are like hey you shouldn't do that which is like a pretty legitimate thing you shouldn't i like going super hard and calling them a transphobe right away i think it's something that we probably mostly agree is like an overreaction to somebody who's doing it once and then is operating in good faith to understand why that's important Mm -hmm. where like kim's reaction is like no, I'm going to do it anyway. Or like, why am I not allowed to do that? That like, that is very weird to me. Like, but why Kim, is that your reaction? But that, that was part of why I wanted to do this podcast because people were acting like when Kim was saying, why am I not allowed to do it? It was in reference to like in her personal life. But that was all in reference to Jordan, like the Twitter stat, like the Twitter um, 
standards? Why am I not allowed to do it? Like, why is someone not allowed to do it on Twitter? Because it was yeah. it was very dissonant to me to watch it all unfold on Twitter. Because when I watched it, like Kim, Robbie, everyone like said like five or six times in the segment, I would never dead name. I understand why we don't dead name. I have trans friends. I would never dead name them. That I'd understand why. Like all of that was said in the context of the of the clip. But then the discourse around it was Kim just wants to dead name so badly. And it's like, well, if Kim wanted to dead name, I'm pretty sure Kim's the kind of person who would just do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think that she's afraid of just doing it. She, do- she doesn't want to. They, they were acting like this was one of those conversations about the N-word. People were like, why can't I say the N-word? But it wasn't quite that. It was, why can't we say the N-word on Twitter? Which you can yeah. Which I think, okay, so this is, this is, gets into my next conversation where, like, sure. I think that this is, a, this is a bigger conversation about free speech absolutism that I personally think is really interesting. Are you familiar with the paradox of toler- tolerance at all? Yeah, that if you're so tolerant, the Nazis will come. Yeah, basically. So, like, I think that, like, as, like, time goes on, I think that that's, like, something that is, like, worth engaging with. Like, um, there's a lot of statistics and studies out there. I know that whenever... Um, like reddit banned the fat people hate subreddit and there was one other one um but they they like studied it and they found that the users that engaged in those subreddits those hateful subreddits um they're they became much more moderate and less hateful whenever those subreddits got banned and so and there's also some statistics about how or not statistics but studies about how um there's a vice article that i linked to somebody in the comments um on patreon but that talks about how like you are reducing the amount of spread that these sorts of like arguments come from, or mm-hmm. you're reducing the amount of uh, the spread of these, these like shitty ideologies. Like by, by clapping QAnon off Facebook, they saw like 30% drop in um, like people engaging with it. And so like, that's a conversation that I really want to hear about. I want to know why Kim thinks that like, it's important to be able to do these things versus the data that says that like getting rid of this information or getting rid of this stuff, is like reduces the likelihood of it being bad and i also um i do want to engage in like like, yeah like why are you would you call yourself a free speech absolutist i have called myself something close to one yeah um so i think that this is interesting too because like um another thing that i think that's problematic with like free speech absolutism is that like i feel like it's like looking at the the right wing or like the other people to operate in good faith um we're like kind of with the paradox of tolerance um like we look at um like right wingers that go super hard about about free speech but then we look at all of the laws that are being passed in Florida where they're like doing reviews of people's ideology in in schools and then like allowing parents and stuff to like ban books from um things like that that don't say gay bills these are all things that are like very clear attacks on free speech yeah i don't think that anybody is accepting their free speechiness as in good faith but i also don't think you can point out and attack them for being anti-free speech by also being anti-free speech yes but i don't think that but where is the value um or like how do you weigh being very 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 pro free speech in like a free speech absolutist way if we know that the powers that be that are that are taking everything on are rolling back free speech like how do we not like have a conversation about how like the best well, this, way this was kind of esperanza's point that mm-hmm. twitter moder is she says twitter moderators aren't protecting her uh, friends who are in the sex work industry from attacks and harassments there's all this bad faith da, da, da. and my point is like exactly mm-hmm. twitter is 
is moderating in a way that disproportionately hurts your friends, disproportionately hurts vulnerable communities, disproportionately hurts the left. The right wingers are out here talking about free speech, but they are attacking all of the vulnerable people. So why would I want to empower the, the, the establishment, whether it's the government, whether it's Twitter, whatever the, whatever the holder of the public power over the public forum is, why would I want to empower them to do so with impunity without even having to hide behind free speechiness? And, and that's, that's the thing. It's a, look, it's, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not a difficult question. And I said on the podcast, you might think that we're so far down the frog march toward fascism that it's not worth you know, entertaining these kind of philosophical ideas anymore. We need to be fighting on every quarter and taking every win we can get. And if we can get Jordan Peterson off the platform, rah, rah, like we just got to win those battles and worry about the rest later. That's a perfectly legitimate perspective to have. I offered it up on the podcast, but you know, and I'm not saying that she had to agree with this, but the Esperanza didn't make that argument. She was kind of trying not to, you know, she didn't really care to engage with the point. She didn't, it seemed, it felt to me, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, and again, I'll invite her back on the podcast for sure, but it felt to me more like she didn't care about Twitter moderation, generally speaking, that she generally had a kind of a confidence in the um, metrics for moderation, and generally it was of the feeling that more moderation would be beneficial than less. And didn't see the negative consequences, like the the moderation choices. More moderation is good, and not that more moderation could potentially moderate people that she didn't think should be moderated, and let people who are doing the bad stuff go running free. Yeah, and that's that's a that's the choice. Like that's a perspective. That's an opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that the so I think that. I, or my perspective from this is that like Twitter's terms of service needs to be enforced equally, um, and that it's important for it to be consistent. Um, but like at the same time, I think that there's a lot of the the conversations about what get banned off of social media are somewhat disproportionate. I know that I've seen like people posting about like mailing um, the abortion drugs on Facebook getting mm-hmm. banned or getting their comments deleted almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the um, doing the same with guns and then those those conversations being stuck together. Mm-hmm. So I guess that like it's difficult for me to like have a lot of sympathy to having this conversation about tolerating hate speech whenever we're not having as many conversations about like the things that legitimately are being impacted on the the things that that I and we as as leftists I feel should like super care about. Um and so like I Wait, think what do you mean? I think I feel like the example you just used is exactly why Kim was arguing what she was arguing. Um I, I- but I feel like that's think, exactly right. Like the fact that Facebook uses this moderation power to pull down posts about how to get abort- abortion pills, but not pull down posts about how to get a gun is exactly why people want Facebook to have fewer moderations, moderation yes. opportunities. Which is where, which is where I think that Esperanza's point about like these being like large scale, like, um, like ungovernable um, gigantic tech corporations comes into a problem and why having a conversation about like breaking down these barriers and breaking down the the capitalist structure i mean i think it is a little bit broad but like breaking down the things that like prevent these companies from being accountable um, because, i thought like, that was I, a good point i thought that was a good point but then that begs the question why if you if you think the solution to twitter is basically democratizing twitter why is there an investment in the and in how twitter polices before it democratizes 
I, why I are we investing faith in Twitter before it democratizes? Like, why even um, care about what their moderation policy is before it democratizes? We basically are all acknowledging they're evil. So why why am I like bargaining with the evil? I think I'm, and, I, and I, wanting I the evil to have more power, more power to censor us. I think that I, I I mostly agree with you in that. My problem is that like the this the data and stuff that I've seen out there about the um like banning these destructive communities from these social media platforms like is an inherent good. And so like I think that there's like a there's like a walk and chew bubblegum type thing where like I want people to be like I don't know. I'm not a free speech absolutist at all. I think that like the hate speech is bad. Like constitutionally protected i think that these tech companies get really complicated because there's like platforming and stuff that goes there but like i think that it's really difficult to ignore that like when milo yiannopoulos got banned off of social media like that dude's um like influence like fell off a cliff um and things along those lines or and um alex jones um i mean donald trump and like so i think i think that it's difficult we'll see to, about like, donald trump yeah, if he comes back. That's, but that's think- the thing. If, if Donald Trump comes back and wins, I mean, he's definitely running and he's definitely going to be a contender. Yeah. If he comes back and wins, I, I wonder how history is going to write him getting kicked off of Twitter. If he were on Twitter these past f- the four years in between, would he have been putting his foot in it? Would he have said something that impeached him and maybe could have gotten him sent to jail? Like, did we did we lose an opportunity to get him? in trouble get himself in trouble and show who he really is on twitter are we, are we thinking that we won something because he's like not in the zeitgeist as much i don't know maybe it is a net benefit and i think that you make a good point about some communities being shut down and it actually just ending the community but i also think there's other instances where people just go into darkness and people are on their alternative platforms organizing a one six and the yeah. rest of the world is largely unaware until the shit goes down so that's what the um that's what the vice article kind of talks about about how like you limit the spread of these sorts of things but you can you run the risk of um radicalizing the people who like go in and seek out those communities. Mm-hmm. So like I think that it's a it's a thing but like so I think that what what I really want to have a like when we talk about like is Donald Trump being banned on Twitter like a good thing or a bad thing like what like I then want to have a conversation about like why is it bad that Donald Trump got like banned on Twitter? Like what is the the net negative there? I think that we did limit quite a bit of his like influence. Like remember when he was writing those blog posts and like people were reposting them in Twitter and then he gave up because he like didn't get any clout out of it. And like <laughs> the same thing with social. Like we're absolutely limiting his um like broadcast by him not being on Twitter. I think that that's a big, well, honest, maybe talking out of my ass, but like Ron DeSantis popping off because Donald Trump doesn't have as much of a platform because he's not the president. He's not on like any social media network that he cares about. I think that there's like a big argument that like he, he kind of fell off because of like not having these platforms. And so, yeah. Like, and I, is that if, if Ron DeSantis is president, is that a net really gain? Like, no. I, I don't, I think that we're kind of like, screwing around with the trolleys here and it's not clear how many bodies are on each track (laughs) you know what i mean like i I just i don't know i don't know which so i think that to a more broad point this gets to where like where's the the value in these conversations like what if we're if we're like large i think that we're largely agreeing that this is difficult but like then like what my the thing that i care about is like why is this stuff important to the movement and why is this important to um, like raising living conditions for people around the world or in the United States, um, helping marginalized communities and stuff like that. And so like, this is where this becomes difficult. Like if we're saying, I think that like we would boil it down to like our really, really ineffective government is like leading to these things. I think that like we're in a position where Ron DeSantis is um, and Donald Trump 
bullshit is so popular because like as a government we just failed to deliver for like since like the the new deal um mm-hmm. for people so like it's very easy to like get caught up in these culture war issues and like get really mad about these culture war issues um and like talk about them which i think the culture war issues are like inherently a right-wing framing so if we're talking mm-hmm. about these culture war issues like how much are we not talking about like things that are important that can be done in order to raise the living yeah Ethan, we're all i think we're all in agreement about that one i we're all in agreement about that one and i yeah. appreciate you calling in thank you so much Thank you. All right. Take care. Uh, Sarah, what's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Sarah? With your little pizza hey. rat picture. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. How are you, Sarah? I'm good. Um, okay. So I was thinking about, um, it's kind of a, it, it's related to the show, but um, I'm, I think a little bit younger than you, but I'm like in my early thirties. Um, And I can remember, uh, I grew up with my grandma when I was a kid and I can remember like when my grandma, she was a house, uh, just a housewife and like, um, would be home when I would be home with her kind of as a kid, she would have TV on. And I think it was like, I guess in the mid nineties to early two thousands before TLC network became just like totally trash, um, TV Mm -hmm. shows. Um, that there would be a lot of things that were kind of like almost like little documentary series about like the lives of like trans people or like two gay, like a gay couple adopting a kid or like Mm. all these kind of little things. And I felt like I kind of grew up watching that stuff with her and she was like super, you know, she doesn't like really know any trans people. She's an older woman, like, um, from a certain time and stuff, but like, she was always very taken by those stories and kind Mm -hmm. of always like oh like that's really you know like oh I can really uh, there was something there to connect with because Mm -hmm. even if like you don't have the exact same experiences like everybody knows what it feels like to be like ostracized or like left out or feel like you don't have a place kind of Mm -hmm. um and so I've just kind of been thinking about that like I think like the media landscape has obviously changed so much since then um but just kind of trying to think of ways to like get back to that kind of thing to, to make these issues really, I guess is like a, a way to counter just the, the straight up like culture wars narrative. Yeah. That's really interesting. There was, you're right that there was this kind of, um, I almost think of it as the Disney framing, you know, there's an, there's an obvious underdog. Mm-hmm. You see everybody, all the bad people making fun of them, making their life more difficult than it needs to be, denying their feelings and their humanity and their personhood. And then they, you know, they have their moment of comeuppance. And there were, you're right, that there were kind of shows that were aimed at showing like X, X group. They're just like us. They're yeah. Trans people, little people, whatever it was. It's like, they're, they're just like us. And, and like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Even things like, like I can remember like certain like Oprah episodes and stuff just like being really great for like, I mean, I don't know about like everybody else in the world, but like, you know, I know that like personally they reached like my grandmother who didn't really mm-hmm. have a lot of like, you know, like seeing somebody come on who was like someone who was like an ex-convict who grew up in like the inner city or something like telling their story. And it's mm-hmm. like just a way of like, I guess like honestly kind of having these hard conversations Mm -hmm. and I think that that's just so missing from our like media landscape right now or it's just so much more niche that like a wide a wide variety like a 
a huge market kind of isn't really able to tap into that because they're not, you know, everybody's kind of listening to different things. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of like regular people representation of any kind. It's all, no. everything's funneled <laughs> through these like kind of like activist interlocutors. Oh, are you a black person here? Speak to Patrice Culler. She'll tell you what black people think, you know? Yeah. Are you a trans person? I'll hear some random activists will tell you. I don't mean Esperanza, but you know, there, every group seems to have like a narrow group, a narrow set of interlocutors and they're all arguing with each other all the time. There's never just like, here's Alice. She's going to work. This is what it's <laughs> like for her as a trans woman. Like, you know, you're missing, or like I'm going to sit down with Oprah and Oprah's going to ask some uh-huh. questions. Some of them are a little inappropriate because people ask inappropriate questions back then about your genitals and things, but uh, everyone yeah. got through it. <laughs> and, you know, you, you trusted it because it was Oprah. You trusted her to get where she needed to go because she was Oprah. And it was a kind of leveling or something. And there was immediacy to it that doesn't exist with our filtered like hyper media censored Twitter reality. Definitely. And I think too, that like when I think about just issues in general with like, I feel like so many things that we talk about come back to just how hard it is to, we're so unpracticed with having difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with what you've spoken about a lot with like the way that like well-meaning white people on Twitter, like kind of pile on pile on somebody and call them a racist or something when it's like really this could be a more nuanced argument Mm -hmm. that gets somewhere I think that's almost like part of the same thing where it's like we don't know how to talk about these things because we don't and And that's right and there's there's a sometimes there's a little bit of a reason why we don't because sometimes sometimes people feel like the costs are the costs are too high they will be called a like it's difficult like I'm not saying it's not okay to say someone's a racist when they're a racist no homophobe when they're a homophobe I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, make sure it counts when you throw the bomb, make sure it counts. (laughs) Cause I don't know. I don't know. I I, I really do actually believe that like all of us are like racist on a spectrum. I I genuinely do believe we're all racist. I could call anybody racist. I'll call myself racist. And I have been, I have done so before, Yeah. but I know it's not that I don't think that that's true, but it's just, it is, it is freezing. It, It does have a freezing effect. Yeah. And, I, and I think these conversations are more important than me getting off my chest that I think the person who, you know, microaggressed me in the airport <laughs> is a racist. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, th- thank you for calling in, Sarah. I think you made an excellent point. Yeah. Thanks. I love your show. Thank you. Keep the faith. All right, Figgy. I've never seen your avatar. I'm very curious to hear from you. Can you unmute yourself? Oh, Figgy wasn't ready. Figgy doesn't been Hey, hey, how are you doing? Hi. Oh my God. So, so uh, sorry, I did not think that I was gonna call. This is my first time calling in. I know. That's why I called in you. You're an unfamiliar face. Thank you so much for calling on me. Yeah. Um. No, uh, I thought today's conversation was really easy. I'm I'm a bit of a broke boy, so I don't have access to the entire episode, but I saw the 30 minute segment. No worries. We love a broke boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I found today's episode a bit difficult just because um, I, I, I saw, I saw Kim Iverson's, um, I saw the entire clip last week and I remember just coming out of it thinking like, 
yeah, I, I hear most of the things that Robbie says, and I'm not in love with them. Um, Kim Iverson has been a bit of a, a tricky figure for me personally. Um, I kind of got, just quick background, I got introduced to the entire kind of left media space. Um, I'd say maybe end of middle school, high school. I'm 25 years old for, for reference. Um, Rag. <laughs> just kidding. Go ahead. Um, and uh, I started out really with Kyle Kalinske, who's kind of the one that got me into it. But I, I've mm-hmm. you know, grown since then. I uh, respect a lot of people. Um, I love especially your episodes. Like I, I listen to most of your episodes um, a couple of times, but especially like your episodes uh, with Richard Wolf. I love him. And, yeah. uh, and Grace Blakely. I'm the son of an economist, so I tend to I tend to lean towards those episodes a bit more. Oh, nice. Makes for good conversation uh, with my pops. Um, Does your dad want to come on? <laughs> I mean, if the offer if, if if the offer is there, I'm sure he'd be in for it. He, <laughs> I'm sure he'd love it more than his regular. He works for the Federal Reserve, so it's kind of like. Oh, is he allowed to come on? <sighs> um, probably. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd be allowed to come on. Hit me, hit me up in the DMs. Hit me up in the in the the comments or whatever i don't know how this app works just hit me up somewhere okay i i follow you on twitter so um my my actual name is rafiq so i guess maybe look out for that okay Um, i will um but yeah i found today's episode a bit difficult uh with kim because i i've never quite been a fan of hers not necessarily because i have anything against her specifically but just because i'm always very wary of people whose ideology i find difficult to to pin down Mm -hmm. um I, I kind of just, I generally have always looked at her as being a bit of an incoherent figure. Um, but as it pertains to Esperanza, like, I don't, I don't really understand how, at least from the 30-minute segment that I, that I uh, watch, I don't really understand how anyone could have come out of that as well as having watched the episode last week and not feeling as though uh, Kim is transphobic like I, I i've never fashioned myself necessarily as a like a as a trans activist i definitely consider myself an ally to the lgbtq community um but like everything almost that was said in that segment and even a lot of what she said today as a, you know there was a bit of a savior complex uh in there she was saying like well you know you you need people like me to you know join your movement and i definitely loved esperanza's response kind of saying like we're we're not looking for, for you uh, we're not looking for for people like you. I guess I I called him because I'm just I have a I'm kind of confused as to really what to walk away with from this this episode. I guess it was maybe a bit different. At least the clip that I saw from what I had anticipated it being, and I, I've gotten. Well, let's talk about it. Let's go back to the original um, rising clip, and let's talk about what specifically in it that Kim said you think can be described as transphobic yeah so um just like off the top of my head i know towards the end of the clip um there was and uh maybe to give kim the benefit of the doubt i might be remembering it incorrectly robbie might have said it and she may have just agreed with it but um there was like i I think it was said it's like something along the lines of you know well donald trump you know said for people to call him i guess the greatest president ever or, or something um along those lines and so like, should we call him that just because he asked us? Yeah, I remember that. that. And like, I remember just thinking to myself, like, to compare like the the babblings or musings of like like a half senile person like <laughs> Donald Trump to the very real um, uh, need to to kind of hone in on one's identity, and I guess 
uh, use a name that is representative of that, I think was just so, it, it just, impli- at least for me, it just implicitly kind of shows a level of transphobia in the sense that like, this is someone's kind of personhood that we're talking about. And to kind of conflate that with someone as unserious as Donald Trump and him just kind of saying whatever comes to his mind, I think it, it, it touches upon the, the idea that like the form of personhood that we're talking about here is not something that you view to be entirely like valid or legitimate. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that that's completely fair. I think that, Okay, that was part of what Olay did such a good job pushing back against was this idea that people were pretending not to understand why dead naming or not dead naming was important. Why it was yeah. important to not dead name people. But and I and I think you're right. Like that I don't I don't remember the order of events, but you're right. I think that was toward the end and things were completely off the rails and that did Robbie did say that not Kim and I'm not sure what exactly how to the degree she co-signed it but yeah I I think that's per- completely fair to characterize as you know if you want to call it transphobic call it transphobic if you want to call it kind of like ignorant sure if you want to call it kind of uh, intentionally obtuse and disrespectful of people who are trying to tell you something about something that means very much to them like it there's no doubt that I think it was wrong and very irritating. Um, I think the issue is that, unfortunately, that kind of a thing, which I think you're right, is like a clear point, mm-hmm. is got mixed up with this idea of people calling her transphobic, not for things like that on Twitter, sure. but for the brought the defense that took up like a good third of that discourse mm-hmm. about the Twitter policy. Yeah, and, and and that was part of like what, what my frustration was. It's like I want to disagree with Kim on stuff, mm-hmm. but the thing that everyone's mad at her about are not things that I would be mad at her about. And in fact, I think undermine a good argument about some of these other things. Yeah. Well, so I, I think that yeah, I think that that in and of itself was like a like a little bit of a source of confusion for me. Not necessarily with anything that Kim said, but just with the entire discourse that I think is like emanated from this. In the sense that my to my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, like. Jordan Peterson, I guess, was banned or suspended or his tweet was suspended from Twitter because of like the really awful things he said about like Nazi doctors operating on people like without, you know, against their will and comparing that to um, to the surgery that Elliot Page got. Mm -hmm. And like, again, that's one of those things for me where it's like. I feel like that's ostensibly <laughs> like transphobic. Like I, I don't. Think well, yeah, everyone agree. Like th- that trans that Jordan Peterson is transphobic is also yeah. not really in contention. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Robbie or Kim would say specifically asked if Jordan Peterson is transphobic, but nobody was defending Jordan Peterson's remarks substantively. It was about yeah. whether or not they should be allowed on Twitter. Certainly, yeah, and and yeah, the I, the the allowance or lack thereof on Twitter. Like, I don't think that necessarily makes kim transphobic but i think i think a lot of it for me was the was the reaction she had to being called transphobic because i guess i i was i was talking about this with my sister earlier today like the vast majority of america to one degree or another is transphobic and so sure. at least from my perspective i just i think that i think that it's it's a little bit talk, like you know the the saying goes like you know hurt dogs like holler and so I think um, 
I think the fact that like Kim's first reaction to being called either a transphobe or being called a transphobe, um, I think she was like in in some argument with um with a guy who runs the Humanist Report, mm-hmm. um, that like she wanted to like sue him for defamation. I feel like I just felt that that really passed over um, the meat of the issue, and I think it demonstrated for me that like her her main concern with this entire issue wasn't like trans people or the discourse um, around them. I think that largely kind of just passes over them most of the time. Um, But like with the way that people viewed her and kind of the thought experiment that was being had. And I think that while, while I can totally understand like the necessity of engaging in thought experiments, I often do so to like my own detriment. I, I do think that, when it comes to a point where you've had, I guess, like a 60 minute long segment kind of, I guess, debating at least the merits of, uh, of whether someone should be either deplatformed or censored because of debt naming or stuff concerning that. Um, and that like people are kind of trying to call you out on maybe just missing the mark in terms of like talking about the root of the issue. I, I don't know. I think for me, it just came across as like, why is your concern necessarily um, being called a transfer, which I'm sure is not like a great thing to be called. But, but come on, like I, I was with you up until a certain point, um, yeah. uh, Figgy, but like, I, I don't understand this thing where everyone's pretending like it's not, it's not offensive to be called a bigot. Like it's supposed to be offensive because it's a bad thing. The question <laughs> is when, when we call someone a bigot, and they're offended. Yeah. The response is, well, you should be offended because I'm calling you a bad thing. Not pretending like, well, it's not a bad thing I'm calling you. Why are you getting all out of sorts? Because I called you a racist, sexist oh, no, piece I- of shit. Like, no, yeah. like, you're, you're calling them a bad thing. Own it. Of course, if, unless you are a, a flag flying transphobe, you don't want to be called transphobic. And that's, it's the same thing with racism. Let's just go back to racism for a second because that I can speak authoritatively on. Sure. Like, it, I would agree, just like you said, everyone's transphobic. Everybody's racist. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and when you say everybody's transphobic, that includes you and me, Figgy. Very much so. But yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, if you call me transphobic, I'm going to be irritated. Now, you're well within your right to call me that. And a lot of people on the internet right now, I'm sure, calling me exactly that. And that's why I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> but, like... To pretend like I shouldn't mind. What, who would I be if I didn't mind being called transphobic? No, no. I, yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And like that. Of course I care. Of course. Anybody with any half an ounce of human decency doesn't want to be transphobic, doesn't want to be racist, even if we still are wrestling with our own biases, even if we've said or done transphobic or racist things. So like I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to this hit dog will holler attitude even though I agree that Kim you know I don't think her response was ideal or proportionate <laughs> yeah, and, you know and that and that's more so what I'm mean. like I, I in no way am, am saying that, like oh Kim should just take that on the chin and be fine like no like that's gonna that's gonna push you back a bit that's gonna that's gonna eat at you but I guess more so what I what I meant and I guess if if I were to ever for whatever reason to to have a conversation with Kim Iverson. I guess, like, my advice to her would just be that, like, I, and and frankly, advice to anyone in this kind of situation would just be that, like, 
yes, pe- sometimes people just say things to get a rise out of certain people. Um, but at least to, to, to the extent to which I have, like, I've watched the humanist report over the years and like, and I'm, I'm, fr- I'm, my name, his name is just slipping <laughs> my, my mind at the moment. So I apologize to him. Mike? I don't know. Is it Mike? M- Mike Figueredo. Mike Figueredo. Yeah. Um, I, the, the, I guess the, the overall point that I'm making is just that like, yes, that kind of stuff can be hurtful. I think at times though, especially in issues when, when you're dealing with issues like social justice and, and just people's just kind of general person and whatnot, like, I think there should be some aspect of oneself, especially if it's something that like, you're not called very often. I don't know if Kim Iverson has ever been called a transphobe prior to this issue. Um, Probably. But I think, yep. Um, but I do think that there should be almost like a, like a reflex in, in the sense that like, okay, someone has said something to me that very I'm very clearly like not comfortable with. Let me get to the root of like why exactly or what aspects of, of, um, of th- that segment or what I've said or my radar or whatever is, is coming across as transphobic, yeah. or is, is putting me in a position or it's in sort of this oppositional uh, position to the trans community. I, I guess it's more so like you said at the end there, like for me, I think it's the, it's the reaction. And I think to the extent to which that reaction came across as like disproportionate. And I think the, the level to which it almost seems like Kim doesn't want to interrogate like any form of maybe internalized transphobia. Well, I had hoped that this conversation was that when I teed it up at the beginning, like Kim, what do you think happened on the clip? And then went to Esperanza and said, well, what do you, why do you think Kim was called these things? Mm -hmm. Like, what was your read of what happened in the clip? And then Esperanza said, I didn't watch the clip. What I was hoping is that Esperanza would have specific examples from the clip that Kim would have to contend with. (laughs) That didn't happen. Yeah. And so we got stuck with Kim's initial framing of what she thought was most important was the speech issue. And I understand why Kim was focused on that. Because so much of her the online criticism was saying, you're transphobic for this position. Hmm. And, that, and that's how we ended up where we were. And again, I got to tell you guys, if I ever ask you on the show, you will be benefited by doing the homework. Your position will be benefited by being informed. <laughs> it only helps you to do the reading. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and again, like... I, in retrospect, given the that the sh- clip was kind of short, I should have just made everybody sat down and listen to it. But when you think you have someone for an hour, when you're starting 15 minutes after the hour, you worry that if you watch a 15-minute clip, you're only going to have half an hour with people before they bail on you. Especially because I've had contentious, you know, more contentious talks before where the person has like people are likely to enforce a hard out. I've noticed if it's a tough conversation. So I was concerned that we would get to the top of the hour and they'd be like, okay, like I, like I did my due, due diligence. Like I'm, you can't accuse me of bailing out early. Cause I've been here with you for an hour. Yeah. And then I ended up with like a 30 minutes of like, not a very substantive conversation. So I didn't choose ultimately to play the tape in retrospect. Now that knowing that we went for 90 minutes, ultimately I wish that we had, but again, Esperanza says she'll come back. And I'm, I'm sure Kim will come back. Kim is very open to having these conversations. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth pressing her on. I, I, do th- I do think the thing where... The irony is I do think the thing we're comparing dead naming to like Donald Trump saying 
call me captain or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm the captain now. It's like not the same thing. Yeah. But I also think there's, there's a, some irony in acknowledging that there's something that undermines the trans experience and making that comparison while mm-hmm. also making this comparison to like Cassius Clay and Prince. Yeah. And we accept those comparisons because they're made in good faith in an effort to bolster why we should not dead name. And we reject the other comparison because it, you know, seems to be operating in bad faith. It's presumed to be operating in bad faith. But honestly, I think they both do a disservice to what it is to dead name. Mm-hmm. And honestly makes the case weirdly for why people are right to observe there's something different going on in this trans context. And that's not a bad thing, but it is something different. And I think that's part of why you're seeing this low level of dissonance. You can take it head on and explain it to people, but I think kind of gaslighting folks and pretending like, oh, this is just the same as when you get married and you change your last name. Eh, eh. You should respect it in the same way, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same thing in a way that, you know, like it's, it's more significant than that. I promise you, if I get married and you accidentally call me Brianna Gray, it's not going to be at all hurtful to me Mm -hmm. the way that dead naming is hurtful to people. Yeah. Also, I'm not taking anybody's last name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Thank you, Figgy. Thank you so much, Brianna. Have a great night. You too. Uh, Andy, patient Andy, how you doing? Right up front. Hey, Brie, can you hear me okay? I can. What's on your mind this evening? (laughs) Well, I'll be real with you. You said patient. Um, There's not like a drop of wine in my glass that hasn't been drunk. And I have a notebook (laughs) with opiates. notes in front of me but i know you said you want to get out of here at 11 and i really don't want to take up too much of your time because i think you're the only journalist going to heaven and to like keep you up would be so horrible to me but as i look over my again copious notes there's honestly the thing i came into this call-in it's the same thing i wanted to say when i come into any call-in um and it does relate (laughs) to the podcast from today but it also doesn't what i really want to tell you brie is that well, you were just talking to Figgy, and I wrote kind of like schizo in big letters in my thing. You said something along the lines of no one is ever mad at people for the right reasons anymore. Mm. Um, and if you and Anna Kay from Red Scare could get into <laughs> the same Zoom and like talk it out, I think like a portal would open and we'd all fall <laughs> through it and be in a better world. Because, well, for a lot of reasons, honestly. Um, and every time you've like mentioned listening to Red Scare, I've like felt more alive than I ever have before. <laughs> um, and you know, every other time I've tried to interact with you, like from the void, I've really embarrassed myself. But I, it's just my only cogent thought that I have. And I know it's late at night, but it's really how I feel. Um, and that's just how I feel. And that's really, honestly, there's a lot of things I could say. I'm like looking over my notes, but that's just really what I wanted to say. Look, you should all go to the um, the Red Scare Discord or whatever, Reddit thread or whatever. And make the, the subreddit, of course. Make the subreddit. <laughs> make the suggestion. I think I reached out. I reached out in the early, early days of Bad Faith. The irony is they had reached out to me to have me on Red Scare before Bad Faith started. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, and, and I was, it was so like summer. Tw- well, I, it was summer 2020 and I was like depressed and not taking hmm. calls. And I, I, I like, frankly, didn't, I wasn't checking email and kind of just totally. didn't engage with it. And then when Bad Faith started, I got back into real life and was like, oh, let me follow up. And also it would be good to do like a collabo now that we both have these yeah. podcasts. 
And I think at that point, they probably felt like I was just trying to like sure. exploit the thing sure. for bad faith uh-huh. sake since we were brand new. And I appreciate that. But like, I honestly, like, I sincerely think it would be a good conversation. It'd be worth engaging. I think there's a lot of area of agreement and disagreement. Um, totally. But you know, you guys know how to do it. Go try to get Cardi B on the show and go oh, and try wow, to get yeah, Anna K on okay, the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, but I- keep your notes, Andy, because here's what I'm thinking. This queue is still very long. It's very late. And I promised you guys that I was going to try to do a makeup episode for the episode that I was away. And I also recorded double episodes of the podcast on Friday. So I don't actually have to record an episode tomorrow. So I have a little bit more wiggle room in my schedule. What if, assuming I get my radar written by a reasonable hour, we do a part two of this conversation tomorrow at around the same time? I think I I will, I, I will do everything i can to be there and i will be there actually i'll say right now i think that's a great idea um, okay so I everybody generous for that idea too also it's been like three hours uh, it's been Christ, almost four hours andy dude. <laughs> 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 well you're insane and um and look i enjoy yeah. it like i enjoy it and i'm, I'm yeah. like I, I hope it never seems like i'm coming to this stuff with all the answers i my mind can be changed i don't like, especially with stuff like this. Well, that's one of the I, things that I think, I mean, I, can I tell, I brought you up in the Red Scare subreddit before <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, she's really hot. And I've also been on like bad face stuff and been like, oh my God, like this is something like the Red Scare Girl said. And I get caught, like replies are like, you think the Red Scare Girls are smart? And it's crazy, <laughs> but um, I think you and actually Anna Case says something all the time where she's like, I am always implicated in my critique. And I think that that's something mm. that like, you're on a similar wave. And I mean, like, I, I literally couldn't think of a time when you were, <laughs> when you were wrong, not to be like, <laughs> it's 1130, dude. Like, I'm just trying to, I'm just fighting for my life to like land the plane and say something cogent. But um, I guess I don't have anything new to add. I think we're, I guess we're, we're in agreement. But yeah. <laughs> Andy, you're, yeah. you're so sweet. I really appreciate you. And I appreciate you for also like giving me this idea just to go ahead. Cause I, I feel the desire to push through. I see all of these faces that I'm familiar faces that I want to hear from unfamiliar faces that I want to hear from because you're brand new to me. Like, you know, Gary, who's Gary fascinated. Want to know more about Gary Can't wait to hear, Stevie with the war paint on his face. Like what's happening there? Mm-hmm. Like Eric, friend of the show calls in all the time. Alex had some interesting comments in the chat. I wanted to get around to Alex. Like, you know, Giannis well, Farfakis in the my, chat. Like, how distraught I was when Rika wasn't, like, in the chat today. I I've been looking for Rika. Her. Of course, me too. But, you know, there's always the next call in, which is, you know, closer than we thought. So, you know, Bad Faith Hive, we're eating so well this week. It's crazy. <laughs> um, well, look, yeah. as always, um, we got a, a real banger coming up on Thursday. One which was also a difficult conversation for me because I am um, the one most conservative area in my life is drugs, and mm. it's all about drugs. Never heard of. <laughs> so you'll see me stumbling through, not trying not to sound like the squarest person in the world. But that is on Thursday. I'll see you all then for that, and I will also see you. Tomorrow, this is a weird version. Why is it doing this with no backup version in this cute little redheaded girl? Come on, we can do better than that for a playout song. I will see you guys oh, yeah, all tomorrow. 
I know it. Thanks for everything, Bree. Okay, see you, Andy. Thanks for everything. Thanks, all of you, for your patience today. I know it's tough. I know there's plenty of good reasons to agree with me. It's okay if you think I'm a transphobe. I will work to rehabilitate myself and to be better. I'm not going to throw allyship out the window because you called me a name. (laughs) But I am going to interrogate whether or not the strategies we're employing and the language that we're using is best calculated to get the results that we want. And we can continue this stimulating conversation tomorrow.